following is an exclusive Disruption Network production. In the heart of East Utica lies Joey's at 307. That's 307 Mohawk Street. It's where the eclectic old school meets the new school cuisine. Dine in and enjoy some amazing seafood dishes, classic Utica Italian dishes, a revolving dinner menu, and even offering catering. Call them at 315-864-3527. Joey's at 307. You're going to love it. Support for this podcast is brought to you by BallWash.com. Stay protected from odors and itch, the essential must-have product to keep your crotch fresh. Feeling good and smelling great throughout the day and throughout your workouts. Remember, guys, the fun doesn't have to stop in the shower. Get the funk off your junk. Use the promo code members only and get 15% off all your sales. Use promo code members only for 15% off. Again, that's ballwash.com. Members only for promo code for 15% off. Looking to sell your vehicle? Contact the United Auto Wholesale Team. We'll buy it. Old or new? Car, truck, SUV, van? Call to set up an appointment. Then stop in, make the sale, and get instant payment. Sell your vehicle to United Auto's wholesale team. Music Mondays in full effect. People, how you doing? You can follow along on all Disruption Network social media platforms. We're live on Twitter. We're live on Twitch. We're live on Facebook. And we're live on YouTube. Check us out. Share, like, smash the like button and all that happy stuff that you do on social media. Shout out to my sponsors, United Auto Service, 4994 Commercial Drive in Yorkville. Stop by their showroom and see why it's easy to do business with United. Shout out to EJA Moving (laughs) Services, the professional movers. When you're ready to move and relocate, hit up Eddie and his staff at 315 Three three five zero five one six ejamoving.com. Thank you to Joey's at 307. Make reservations right now. They're doing lunch. They're doing great dinner specials. Give them a call, 315-864-3527. Thank you to Billy the Liquor Guy. Check out his book on Amazon or wherever you get books. It's called Under Too Long. It's an amazing story. Also, thank you to Utica Coffee. They're keeping us jacked up today. On the, I'm drinking Half Moon Coffee, and I think it's fantastic. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you to Saranac. Thank you to Dave Longaretta, my attorney, if you need some legal advice give him a call today at 315-735-6162 and thank you to ballsy ballwatch.com use promo code members only keep the funk off your junk that's right so we we have started off first of all i'd like to uh, give a little shout out to everybody that reached out to me this past week Uh, my father unfortunately passed away and everybody reached out it's been overwhelming with the support my phone has not stopped ringing in a week and thank you to everybody it just goes to show that uh, you don't need to have blood in your veins to know that your family so thank you to everybody out there for reaching out. 2022 is off to a horrible start. We've lost some legends. And uh, today we're going to pay tribute to Tim Gillis. And I have a couple guests in the studio with me today. Mr. Bob Aquaviva. Good to see you, Bob. You too, Z. Thank you for coming down. Yep. Carl Goodhines in the house. 
Hi, Carl and Jeff Adderman, my old friend from Big Blue North. It's good to see you guys. And uh, Carl and Justin over here, you could find them in a local band called Showtime. And never heard of them. You yeah. never heard of them? <laughs> they play out much? Carl, are you sick yeah, of Justin no. at this point? It's just like HBO, just the next channel over. <laughs> <laughs> so, unfortunately, we've, we've lost a few legends this year, man, already. It's not even a month in we, with the loss of Sal Alberico and, of course, our good friend, Tim Gillis and uh, Bob I want to start with you and uh, talk about the first time you met Tim Gillis oh yeah we're at grammar school so I think I, I actually I met him before meeting him like we were both opposing goalies on the ice at Utica at, at um down at the auditorium you played hockey yeah what? I was a goalie and so was Gill we did that first but we didn't even know each other he was on one team I was on the other we I think in the end we skated by each other but didn't Nothing was said, and then I think maybe three months later, um, everybody here knows Phil Arcuri. Uh-huh. He yep. went to school with me at Proctor. you got to realize that Gillis, and I went over to, I was at, um, at that point, I think I was still, yeah, I just was leaving, I think, over at Conkling School. These guys were already in the other side of town. So I remember going to a gig that Phil was doing with a band. It was him, this guy, Tom Edicola, and another guy, Dave Tooker had a band, and Phil said, why don't you guys come with your band? It was me, this kid, Teddy Pape, and John Battle, who still plays with Dubonet. He was the drummer. And we went over to see them play. We were kids. It was a, a, a grammar school dance at Lord's. So we went there, and that band was there, but Gillis was there as the drum tech. And he's setting up this big, huge drum set. And he came up to me, and he goes, I've seen you around. Do I know you from anywhere? I says, no. Nah. I says, you know, and then we all got introduced, and he sat down and played a little bit. And he didn't really do anything because I don't think he wanted anybody to really, you know, he didn't want to show anybody up. But he played a little bit, and I could tell he was, you know, a pretty good drummer. And he says, do "You guys, you know, are you guys going to get up and do a song after they played for a while?" So we got up and we did "Suffragette City" by Bowie. Oh, awesome! And he he went nuts when I got off the thing. He goes, "We got to do something together." So I don't I don't think we had a pen or anything to exchange phone numbers. Who had? There was no phones. None of that BS, you know. So. I just left. So a couple of years later, I think at this point now I'm in like maybe a sophomore in school or a junior in that range right there. Um, my parents moved from East Utica all the way over here to West Street, all the way up near the parkway, like two doors from the parkway. And uh, <clears throat> I was walking down West Street carrying my guitar and Car- this other musician, Carl Ambrizelli, came driving by and he had a Mustang one of those, one of those early ones, the um, really souped up little when they were little, beautiful. His father had to, was a big shot at A one Auto, so he had this beautiful car. I didn't know him. He just pulled up next to me. He goes, "Anybody ever say you look like Paul Stanley?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, Do you, "Can you can you play that thing?" Because I was, you wanted to hear. Too, I was right? carrying. Yeah, I'm carrying the guitar. I remember back then I always had a Gene Blazer on, and he says, "Can you play that thing?" And I said, "Yeah." He says, "Jump in." Didn't even know the guy. He says, I, I live four doors down. I, I live on Brinkerhof. My parents are downstairs, but I have the whole apartment upstairs where I just have amps and drums. Let's go jam, play Kiss songs. So I went and did that, and he says, you know, I know this guy who plays bass, and he's got this whipping Lee guitar player, and he lives on Shaw Street. His name is Tim Gillis. And I remembered, I thought he was a drummer. He says, no, he plays bass. Huh. He says, and they want to go and Where's do a show at Hannah Park. Playing all Kiss songs. Are you into doing it? Sure, I'll do it. So I, that's the first time I got together with Gillis was over there doing Kiss songs, which had nothing to really do what what 
it turned into after you know after first meeting but we were young we were young young guys blowing through you know all those kiss songs and we did that show and it was fun as a matter of fact if pat orlowski's listening to the show i think he might have been at that show like one of the first things he's seen was that or it was the first time luftwaffe played at hannah park like 82 ish mm. right around in there but yeah that's how it started for me with him justin how about you i know you you spent some time with him in the studio I did. Um, uh, I was lucky enough to to be a part of uh, doing a Christmas album uh, for uh, a benef- to benefit the House of the Good Shepherd and uh, and Jeff here. Uh, I don't think you had bought the studio yet, right? Yeah, it was the last year of it. The being last year Castle. of it being Castle, and uh, um, Gillis came in and he was. Uh, <clears throat> I met him at Keith James's studio, and he came in and it was like it was like one of those things where. You know, when somebody walks in and they're larger than life, you know, they have the personality, they have the swagger, they have the the charm, you know, they had, and he had everything. And he was wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants. I mean, Sounds like, right. legit, like, but, but and he was all disheveled, but just, the, just the, the sheer, like, he just had that aura about him. And, uh, I mean, for the second that, that he spoke, I mean, you knew that he was so knowledgeable of everything he was speaking about, you know what I mean? And. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome, you know. And he looks at me, he goes, you're the musical director? I go, uh, I guess. <laughs> and, I mean, I, he goes, well, you're going to be right here next to me the whole time. And that's what, you know, what we did. And, and uh, um, for I think it was like a week or two before we went into the studio that he would pop back in and, and, and do, like, pre-production, you know, with us when we were rehearsing. And then um, once we went to the studio, it was absolute mayhem for like a week or two in the studio. It was just, it was an experience I'll never forget in my whole entire life. Well, mayhem is definitely a, the right word. Yeah. <laughs> Bedlam. 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 Yeah. And, I, and I mean, I know that we're going to talk about nicknames with Gillis because he had a nickname for everyone. Um, uh, but I have to point out that Bob also has a nickname for me. Where do you think it started? Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, that, you know, I put two or two together after that and realized. But uh, I still have no idea why you call me Homer. But it was just a, it was just a, it had nothing to do with Homer Simpson. Right. Just, yeah. I don't know. It just I just thought you were that's what I always called him was he Homer. He called me Homer once and it stuck. And but like, he was and it's gonna keep But sticking. you were you were what, sixteen? Yeah, 15? sixteen. Yeah, like 16, I mean, yeah. you know, was he was like the youngest guy yeah. and he was he's not the Justin Smith and he is now. He was just a kid and just you know yeah. just whatever, you know. Right. When we first worked in the studio. Yeah. I yeah. mean and I know these guys got way more stories than me, so I'll tell the only story nickname wise, it's pretty much the only story I have left of, of Tim and uh um, it was right around the same time that the Mayan calendar was supposed to end, and uh, like it was 2012. The, world, the 2012, the world mm-hmm. was going to end, everything was going to explode, and no life was going to live on the rest of the earth. And so uh, I had to do um, uh, vocal scratch tracks to keep everybody in order of what, you know how the songs were going to do. So I went in and I just I was singing songs that other people were singing that were way higher than I had to sing, and my voice cracked on one, and it happened to stick. And every time that we were sitting down and somebody would play a part on that and that crack would come up, I would go, oh, like this. And Gillis would laugh. He would laugh and laugh and laugh. And uh, finally, like, after doing it, like, 45 times, he's like, you know, you act like the world's going to end because you cracked on that stupid, you know, vocal 
scratch track. And I'm like, well, for me, I got to fucking listen to it every five seconds, you know? <laughs> and he's like, that's it. He goes, he goes, you know, you're, you're, it's going to end just like the calendar. So you're the Mayan priest from now on. <laughs> and still to this day, Jeff over there, he calls me priest. That's what is, you <laughs> well, know, so you got to so. figure he could have recut that in two seconds. Don't you think he left it on there for a reason? Oh, perfectly. I mean, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That, that was Gillis. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I learned so much about uh, being witty from yeah, him. I mean, just, was... just in that, that short time that I spent with him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, even, even though I, I only spent a short time with him because I, you know, of how young I am, I'm, you know, I'm sure if I grew up when you guys did, I probably oh, yeah. would have been in with, with all sure. that, but the short time that I had with him, uh, you know, he stuck, uh, you know, I thought about him often, you know, him and Neen and once they moved to Ta- Tasmania, it was, it was a sad time for all of us, I think, because, you know, you know, we, he was gone for so long, you know what I mean? And then he popped back into our lives for such a short period of time, and then he was gone again, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, for me, it's like I finally got to see him and to know him like, and, and, and see the man that everybody had all the stories about, you know, mm-hmm. and then he was gone again. And so, like, I was sad about that, happy for them, but sad about that. And, uh, you know, so that's my, that's my story. Carl knows him. He's known him the longest. The longest Carl's yeah. done stuff with him when he was a kid. Yeah, Carl, talk because just before we went on air, you, you were telling a couple stories about being in his parents' house and whatnot. Tell, oh. tell a couple of those. Well, one thing, when we lived on the road, was that a lot of people didn't realize is that when Tim would get up in the morning, <laughs> he'd do 300 sit-ups. Back then, yeah, he was. Wow. And I was his spotter. I'd have to get up, hold his ankles down, watch <laughs> 300 TV. setups? One, two. Yeah, yeah, three, Are you saying he was an extreme person? Three, <laughs> three hundred of them. Every day. Wow. Yeah. Every day. That's what, that was during his really, when he was really in well, good shape, really working out. in high school, he, his frame carried a lot of weight back then. He yes. was over 300. As a matter of fact, it's unfair to say people... Used to call him call meatloaf. meatloaf. Yeah, yeah. He had the long hair like that. He looked like meatloaf. He looked like him. I'll give him that. But he, he wore really a, hated meatloaf, and that was very unfair. He wore a he wore a black trench coat all the time. Gillis. Really? And he looked yep. a lot like meatloaf. I mean, a lot, like huh. disturbingly. Even my old man said to me, "My old man said to me, what this guy looks just like meatloaf.' You know, <laughs> kids. You know, that's my father okay. saying that's true." <laughs> Yep. But uh, we met when we were, I don't know, seven or eight years old at summer camp. Camp Bethlehem, I want to say it was. Yeah, that'd be right. Behind where UCA and their condominiums now. I don't even know what they're called anymore. Up near the state hospital there. No, up the staircase behind UCA there. And uh, to keep the kids interested, they had sports every day and one of the days they had boxing and at age seven not doing it on purpose i knocked tim gillis out <laughs> yeah he i remember woke that up story everybody standing around him. is he dead <laughs> but i don't know we, we were friends and everything it's, he just walked into it or whatever <laughs> we were friends ever since and uh Everybody had their own dent in his furnace ducts in the basement. Because back then, everybody's furnace looked like this. Octopus. Yeah. Yep, the octopus. There was yeah. one of these going to each room in the house. And if you lived in a big house, it... <laughs> but when you'd walk in, and it'd be written in a marker, Tim Michelini. Yeah. And then there'd be a dent in this one where I would hit. And then 
Mike hit his head over here twice, and Craig Reese came down and hit this one. He's so short, but he hit yeah. this one over here. Yeah, <laughs> she so, marked the wall. <laughs> hey, uh, the furnace was marked all over the place where everybody's head hit it. <laughs> And everywhere else on the walls was egg cartons. Egg crates. Egg crates yeah. everywhere they on the wall. They couldn't afford Oralex or no. anything like that. Right. No, egg crates everywhere. So, that's what it Yep. <laughs> it was a think tank, his place. It was really, there was, uh, it was a real musical time. You know, like at 14, 15 years old, you walk in there and these guys are playing Gentle Giant. Yeah. You know, when People I was. People would sit in the street. Yeah. Outside the house on the curb. Yeah. And talk, maybe listening to us. But then on the other hand, like, you could go by there and hear Speedy's coming by the Scorpions, and then you just see smoke bellowing out of his cellar. Because <laughs> he, as a matter of fact, Slate, machine. Slate Goldstein, who lived across the street, remember when he did those flash pods down? He almost burned the whole house down. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it would be a guy named Slate Goldstein. Yeah, Slate yeah, Goldstein. Exactly. Right across the street. That was, that was not Gil- Spinal Tap. Him, at all. Him, and Gillis no. were, him and Gillis were good buddies. He was a nice guy. As a matter of fact, I think on some of the things that were written, online slate came on and t- was telling that story again but i remember that when it happened i mean it was really you know there was a whole like i was saying there was like maybe 10 of us that would pl- go there and play you know in various you know different little like group things and you know who could play who was better at what would play and you know i'm in all the rock stuff um mike robinson is playing all the progressive stuff um sometimes i would play that stuff if i could play it i was probably the worst player there I mean, wow. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it because wow. I, I didn't know what they knew. Yeah, sure. You know, they were giving me Henry Cow records at 450. <laughs> I didn't even know who, what the hell, you know, Gong. Gil, did you ever hear a Gong? No, I never even know. You know, and they'd <laughs> yeah. bring me, Brick Gillis would bring me upstairs and show me the album cover, put the record on, pick the songs he thinks I would like, and then, you know, take these home, listen to them. <clears throat> When you come back, we're going to play. I'd sit there with that stuff and go, you got to remember, there was no internet. You couldn't go on there and, and right, find right. on YouTube how to no, play it. No, uh, I'd sure. sit there and go, are you yeah. kidding me? And then when I'd get there, he, he goes, did you have any luck with that one song? He says, Gil, I can't even figure out the first chord. He goes, well, it's in it's in an obscure tuning. It's in uh, yeah. drop, it's whatever. It wasn't even drop. It was like an E minor. Yeah. He well, said, you, you, didn't, you didn't study Mendelssohn? What you you would have needed to know to go, <laughs> go to E minor right. tuning, you know. But after that, you had that, that part of that thing would come into your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So, But he was a pretty big catalyst for that because they never had a tv at that house they did not grow up with a tv so in their main room their living room was a huge piano and i remember going up there and gillis playing he'd play some stuff that he wrote and then he would go he knew i liked blue oyster call he would immediately play astronomy you know (laughs) it was great he would play all the astronomy stuff and i would walk out of there like marveled because i never seen anybody do that yeah so that's you know that was the start with him and then there was years where I didn't do anything with him. I was doing other things. And then Luftwaffe. Yeah. And that was, you know, really something. Yeah. You guys, no, nobody except Carl. Carl wasn't even around. I don't think Carl even seen Luftwaffe live, did you? No, there was one time that I came home and I had a chance. I couldn't get near the place. Yeah. Yeah, but it was ridiculous. Parking or yeah. get near the front door to get in. It was it was crazy. You know, I'm so that, glad that there's still video of. There, well, that, that's you know a, that's I mean? a, the last reunion. So that was sure. that was almost ten years after it really oh, wow. happened. Okay. Oh, wow. okay. It was different when it first started. It was way more out of stupid, out of control. It wasn't. Yeah. That was like a very tame version of it. We were all older, and you know, we got together. I think and rehearsed for three hours to do that show. Oh, wow. It was. What fun. year? What year did Luftwaffe start? Luftwaffe was we. Me and I taught. Called Paul yesterday because I said, Paul, you know I'm terrible with dates. And he started laughing. He goes, I, he's, I says, you're younger. You should remember. And he just laughed. He goes, <laughs> he says, I think we started rehearsing in 81 and the first show was in 82. Wow. So 
I remember going to Gillis's practice room. I was upstairs in a different practice room. We were in the White Tower building. Yeah. And I went to Gillis's practice room because we were friends, and he was down there playing. And we were both in between projects. And I said to him, you know, we should start a band. I got an idea. Let's do like a metal band. And he just had, he liked heavy stuff, but that was in his bag. He was a whipping progressive drummer. Yeah. But he was into it. He goes, yeah, I think, yeah, let's do it. I said, well, I know this young guy who plays bass. He'd be perfect. We'll bring him over. So I called him, and he came right down. As a matter of fact, I remember I had to walk down the street to the telephone booth to make the phone call. <laughs> and, What's a telephone booth? Yeah, yeah right? it was a telephone booth. <laughs> we were right there on that square, so there was a booth there. Actually, it was, I think, just the phone on the stick. And I called him, and he came right down because he was excited. He was younger than us. So at that point, Paul was probably 17, and me and Gil were 20. So he came down, and we had a little meeting, and we talked about what we were going to do. And he says, well, we need a really great singer. And all these names came up because there was local guys that were good singers. And I was like, nah. I says, there's this guy. He played in this band just a few, maybe six months earlier with us. He only sang one song. He sang Two Tickets to Paradise, but he sang (laughs) the shit out of it. And I would hear him just singing, but he was a rhythm guitar player. I, I said, that's going to be a stretch. I said, but I think we should get Slife in the band. Now, Gillis didn't know who he was, and Paul said to me, really? I said, yeah. He says, well, he's a guitar player. He says, no, I'm telling you, this guy can sing. So we got him down there, and we said, here's the three songs you need to learn. You need to learn Temples of Syrinx by Rush to sing that, which is r- ridiculous. Ziggy Stardust. We went the whole gamut, and then Black Dog by Zeppelin. So if you could sing these three songs, you're in. And other people came and tried out, and I don't want to bring up their names, but the other people came pale with nothing. He came in, this kid, and he blew the place apart. But he he never played without a guitar, sang without a guitar in his hands. He was very nervous, and he was young also, 18. So me and Gillis would sit this guy down every night and browbeat the crap out of him. <laughs> We'd sit him in a chair, and we would just pound him. You have to be the heaviest singer ever. You're going to be the he- You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I mean, we literally would do this. We'd even do it at shows because if you knew Slife and you know him, you've worked with him. He's a very timid kind of guy, but when he's on stage, he's not. Yeah. So after that came together and we started rehearsing a little bit, we needed a name. So I had three names picked out. And when I came down and said the first name to Gillis, he just looked at me and went, no. What was it? Do you remember? I said, we should call the band Mein Kampf. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, Mein Kampf. He goes, he goes wait, he's, we're going to call it Hitler's, you know, because people that don't know, that was Hitler's right. book. Mm. I go, but it means my struggle. I said, it's perfect for it because we did German style metal stuff. Yeah. No. He goes, my parents will kill me. (laughs) They'll kill me. So I says, what about if we called the band Bert and Ernie and we had them dressed with switchblades and leather coats? They said, it's funny, (laughs) but it's cool. Right. He kind of liked that. Then I said, I got one other thing. I got one other name. I said, Luftwaffe. And the other two guys, Slife was all on it. Yeah, it's a great idea, Bob. And I said, you know, it means air power and it's still in existence. I said, but never swastikas on stage. I said, never, none of that, which we never, ever even went near. And uh, Gillis, he says, I'm not going to tell my parents about it for a while. He says, let's get out and get playing. Yeah. And that's how the name, that's how that name came about. But then we got somebody to write it in that German, that fractal writing with the the Fs look like daggers. Yeah. You know, and it was just perfect. It just happened to be perfect. And because it was just a little bit off center, I think people were attracted to want to come and see it. Yeah. But we also, you know, I mean, if you not, if you if the people that are out there that had actually seen that band, you'd never forget seeing that band. I mean, we 
we were the first band ever to have a chainsaw on stage, <laughs> and we he used a real live chainsaw on stage. I mean, what like, were you cutting up? Oh well, if it was Christmas tree, if it was Christmas, it'd be a Christmas tree. If it was Thanksgiving, it'd be turkeys, what? <laughs> butter balls. There's stage. there's freaking flesh flying all over the place. <laughs> so of course, when it was Halloween, what do you think got cut up? Pumpkins. Yeah. So uh, pumpkins would go. But when there wasn't a holiday, we always had a dummy cabinet on stage that he could saw. Nice. And we'd repaint it for the next show or get it just looking just so good. Mm -hmm. But we also, our slogan was like a 20-pound sledge in the face. Yeah. So we had two 20-pound sledgehammers painted gold on each side of the drum kit. And he would wing those things around like a lunatic. (laughs) I mean, like absolute insanity. And then every night I would hit him over the head with a bottle. And he'd go down. I'd hit him. We had breakaway bottles, but they look so good. Yeah. When I would hit him with those things, and he was so convincing, and they would blow up, and the stuff would come out of him, and he'd go down like a ton of bricks, and the lights <laughs> would go down, and the set would end. And then people in the audience would be like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, but yeah. our biggest coup was, well, we also used to dress as nuns, too. <laughs> we would play a whole set, and we would call the nun metal set. Everybody in nuns' outfits, including the crew. Uh-huh. But our biggest thing was we used to have two bestic air cannons on stage. And we didn't put confetti in. We would put miniature marshmallows and ketchup in them. <laughs> so they'd be firing miniature marshmallows and ketchup in the ice. And some nights they would put wings in there and blue cheese and fire them into the ice. I mean, you have no idea what went on who, with those. Who was, uh, who was tasked on the crew of cleaning the air guns after the I, I think, wings were I think launched. Peppy and Skippy there, yeah, the, Skippy. the, the Skippy, gimps Skippy, there. Skippy. Yeah, the lighting gimps. That's a whole other story. Wait, of course the crew was called Peppy and Skippy. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, well, that was... That was yeah. Yeah, they, but still, though, I mean, like, come on, this is I, great. We did, a show, we did a show at Hannah Park, and these two young kids walk up to me. One looks like a Skippy because he had that... Skippy haircut. His name's Rich Wilgus. He's a great guy. He's all over Facebook. Super intelligent, nice guy. And the other guy's name, Kevin Zale, was a blonde surfer-looking guy. He was good, both good-looking guys, big guys, but young, like 16. We want to be your lighting crew. Well, we didn't have any money, but we have all these lights. We have all the flash pots. We have everything. Can't pay anything. Yeah, we just want to go on the road. We just want to go on the road. So, yeah, sure. Well, that'd be but, awesome. but right now, just Them like this, Gillis, I, I think he had walked over by then. I says, Gil, that's Peppy, that's Skippy. They're the lighting <laughs> gimps. Just like that. I, I didn't even know their names yet. They never even said, my name is Rich, my name is Kevin. You were Peppy and Skippy, and they were nicknamed that, and it stuck forever. <laughs> and that's how it went down with those guys. And they were invaluable on the road. Yeah, They were fantastic. Were you gigging every night? or Not every night, but we were, we got to the point where we were playing three, four times a week. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it got to that point. Was it regional, local? We'd go anywhere. Yeah. You know, we'd go, we didn't care. We went anywhere. We were in Massachusetts. We were wherever. And those some of those trips were, pff, we had no business. A lot of that stuff we had no business doing. When we were young guys. We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, Eric was on the crew. He was our sound man. Yeah. Eric, who works over with uh, yep. with yeah. Jeff, yeah. he was absolutely insane. He would wear a Bad kilt. Love. He would wear a kilt. Now, we're in biker bars. He's wearing a kilt with army boots, <laughs> yeah. and he's got candles set up all around the, the soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> but his job during the day was he would cut aluminum on a bandsaw. So how good was his high end? Mm-hmm. He'd blow horns up every show. Oh, oh he's, he's deaf as a bat. Yeah. Oh, he would, see, I'm telling you, he, every show, Gillis would come up to you and say, we need $80 for, for uh, diaphragms. <laughs> I said, we got to get this guy off of the mixer. But yeah. we loved him. He was great. He's still great. I mean, we loved having him around. And, we all, and then that's how Tom Wozlick, who's gone now too, yeah. right? Tom, he's gone. The Count, he's the gone. Count. Yeah, great man. Well, the, the, he got the nickname The Count from Luftwaffe. He was another one approached me. He goes, I can come out 
and video, he's staring right at me with that crazy look. He was like 16, too, also, maybe 15. I could come out with this my video camera. He's got this big, huge video camera and shoot the band for free. He goes, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get paid, but I want to meet girls. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I says, yeah, you definitely can do it. And my name is Tom Wozlick. And I looked at him. I said, anybody ever tell you you look like Grandpa from the Munsters? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think I do. I said, well, you're now the count. Count Weasley. He was Count Weasley. That's what his nickname was, Count Weasley. I love Tommy. Yeah, me I feel too. so bad that he's gone. He was yeah. one of the greatest guys ever. What a kind soul. Relationship with him from that day all the way on, and he shot. All that footage is gone. I don't know what, it, what happened to it, but there maybe a few little things are left, but he shot all that, except for that one you see online floating around from Coleman's. He shot all that stuff. He was fantastic. He never charges a dime. Wow. We had more fun with him. I mean, so much fun with him. So that band was like a just a really outrageous, and it hung in there for about three years. But Gillis left after two, and he went on the road with Carl for a little while. And he was replaced by this kid named Carl Ambrizelli for just a little while. We did it for one more year, and then we went right into Mere Mortals. Okay. But that's, that was pretty much the evolution. But we, me and Gillis were always really tight. When he moved to Jersey... Somehow he got started getting get it. He got a studio open. I had my studio open here. He opened the studio, and then we kind of had like an interlocking business for a while, where he would bring bands up because he didn't have a big live room and track at my place, and then you know take the stuff back and mix at his place. And if he didn't have time, I would do his bands, and he would help me with my bands. And he had brought a console into my place. That was our trade thing, and I used it for a few years, and we it was good. It was a good relationship. And he was behind some of the. I mean, legendary hardcore albums, Agnostic Front, and who are some of the bands, Jeff? Agnostic Front. Yeah, he did a uh, lot of SOD, SOD, Circle Jerk, stuff yeah, like that, DOA, right? Yeah, DOA, a lot of a Madball. Um, mm -hmm. He did a lot of stuff that I don't even know about, but in that... Anthrax in that, was another one? Yeah, he did. He worked with Ian for a while. It's yeah. got Ian. It's got Ian from Anthrax, yeah. Oh, SOD, right. He even worked on uh, Taking Back Sunday. Well, he did, yeah, he did yeah. Taking Back Sunday Thursday. Um, yeah, it was 2001. He did the two big... Records from both those bands that, again, I I I wasn't that wasn't my like that was a certain genre yeah, of music that sure. missed me yeah but to the kids that I have talked to that yeah. that, that that uh you know that to them is their uh you know it's their Abbey Road yeah those records oh, yeah. a lot of that was tracked up here they would come here and track because yeah, he didn't yeah. have a room so you place bring, yeah. yeah and they would lodge right at my place but we never told anybody like right who was uh, I remember when the guy from Overkill was in. Uh, the singer was producing a band there. I think the band was called Dirt Church or something. And there was always something. We were, you know, I, I don't think people realize how busy we both. We were very busy, busy, like busy, busy. Like every day there was a project going mm. on, and I would have Gillis master everything that I did. That was, you know, if I did something, I would give him the mastering work because he was just getting going, and it was well, he good had, money. He had a, a whole mastering room at Big Blue Meanie. For a while before, like he had a big, like when I, well, what he's, when he first started, this was early on. Yeah, this was, yeah. this when was he first started, he had a mastering room and then that when turned he, into Studio B. He started or, Surgical Sound out of, uh, that was in Hackensack. Hackensack, yeah. 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 As a, as a, because the studio, so what he did was, from what I've understood, uh, built the studio out of his house in Hackensack with what he could throw together. And back in that time, uh, you know, this would have been mid 80s, uh, it was certainly a lot harder to throw together a studio sure. in your house oh, than yeah. it is now. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, this is all no computer, no. So, and if you didn't have a lot of money, uh, 
it was tough. You know, tape machines were still the the way you went. Consoles were still the way you went. So that stuff was big money. Sure. Still is. But I mean, um, uh, so he did the best he could. But but he was he was finding it really hard to do what he wanted to do because he had all these visions of grandeur, like he always would. Uh, so he started to realize that um, mastering was something that he was good at. He was very good at it. And that he could do um, somewhat more efficiently in terms of the, the financial yep. yield, right? He could master records, and you didn't have to have the band in the track and do all the stuff, right? So he got really into that and and spun off this thing called Surgical Sound, which was the mastering arm of his Big Blue Mini thing out of his house. And he started to just do mastering more than anything. As it turns out, he he later uh, confided to me that he that he hated it, mm. hated mastering, and it almost drove him to the point of quitting music altogether. Wow, drove him insane. But he made a lot of money doing it, and he, and was, he was good. And at he was good at it. it. Yeah, and he knew really he was good, good at, at it. it. He was good at it. But he but he didn't. He disliked it. You know, which was, I'm sure, kind of weird. To well, do, sure, nobody you know. wants to do Well, now we're kind of a little bit more akin to sitting in a room and looking at a screen. Yeah. Back then, that wasn't like, you know, because when mastering, when he was mastering, he was looking at a screen at that point. There was there was mastering tools. Yes. I mean, Pro Tools, when it started, was just two tracks. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how it started. So he was looking at a screen, and we would rather be in the room working with the band. I yeah. mean, that's where all the P.T. Barnum comes in, you yeah, know, for us. Sure. Right. That That's what we were all about. Me and him were super about that aspect of it you know getting the bands ramped up to get the performance out of them it was much more than just being able to be an engineer there's that whole other circus that people expected you know they you know we both were cut from the same cloth when it came to that. that's why we worked so well together on certain projects we were good together because we were both into that we both knew you know that there had to be a certain th- vibe in the studio so, you know, we had no problem as soon as the band come in, nicknaming people. As soon as you met them, you nicknamed them. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, a lot of times when you're doing those projects, sometimes the guys aren't good enough to pull the project off. People have to be, so other people have to be inserted in their seat, you know. So that was a whole other, you know, psychological, and you'd want to do that without offending people. I yeah. mean, so we got really pretty damn good at that. And then, you know, you cut a larger-than-life personality. Gills was a big guy. Yeah. I wasn't, but I would wield things. You know, people would come in, I'd be wielding a pool cue or wearing a... I did a whole album wearing a luchador mask. They never even seen my face. The <laughs> did the whole album like that. Yeah, because it was just... But that was... It worked great. It was yeah. the vibe. They ended vibe, up calling yeah. the record Got Beat Up, and they had a luchador on the front. Yeah, I mean, it was like it was just one of those awesome. records that, you know... But that's what... And he would do the same thing, right? That was... He was... Well, he was... Uh, bombastic is same in the same way. We were really over the top. I think he was... He subscribed to that notion that... I And I do too. Uh, that... Uh, the, what he's speaking of... What Bob's speaking of. Uh, which was that... He wanted to set the tone in a way that was... Um, he wanted it to be fun. Yeah. But he wanted it to be... It was deadly serious. Deadly serious. At all times, we were, you know, it was, we got to go. We're not fucking around, you know. Yeah. I'm, you know, I got other shit to do. If you guys aren't in here to do what you're supposed to do, then, you know, go somewhere else. You know, he didn't give a fuck. But at the same time, he gave a fuck more than anybody else on the planet. It was that weird, you had to get through that layer. But then when you got through that layer with him, he's, he would have done anything He'd have given you the skin off of his yep. bones yep. to make something happen for you. 
But you had to endure a certain amount of hazing, if you will. And torture would be another word. Yeah, torture. <laughs> yeah, and that was his word. way of seeing like kind of what you were made of. Uh, you know, he always had a thing about uh, of it being like a pirate ship. You know, that's how he viewed the whole thing. And we're off. We're, we're on sailing the high seas. And, yeah. uh, you know, we got a certain amount of provisions on board. And uh, we, may, we don't really know where we're going. And there might be some sea monsters and some bad weather. <laughs> and uh, there might be a hole in the boat. And this guy over here might be uh, sick with rickets. And shit's going to happen. And we got to deal with it because we're out here and we're all going to sink. Does it from the captain down? Yeah, everybody's going to sink if something goes wrong. So we all got to get all hands on deck, right? Right. And that's how he was. So he treated you. He treated everyone the same. He was not a guy who would uh, play favorites to any anyone. And so, and and that would you know the the flip side of that was the beatings, right? And I love the <laughs> the saying I love the most, the most twisted, funny saying: "The beatings will continue until morale improves." I just think that's the <laughs> greatest fucking saying in the world when yeah. you start to think about it. Right. The beatings will continue until morale. You know, that's how he thought. And when yeah. you once you subscribe to that, you bought into it. Sure, if, you know what I'm saying. All of a sudden, you understood the psychology of where he was coming from, and it was all psychology. He was trying to extricate things from people, and he used humor and wit and a certain amount of uh, stern... Destruction. <laughs> sort of fatherly, don't fuck around with me, because I'm yeah. not... Ultimately, you see me playing around here. I'm doing 100 million things for you right now that you don't even know about. For your benefit. Yeah. So why don't you, you know, in later days, put the phone down, pay attention, you know, right. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was trying to always, I think, be a mentor to everybody that he, whether it was a, a moment that you had with him yeah. or a lifetime that you guys spent with him. He sure. was always trying to be a, an enigma in a way, you know. Yeah. It was he, not that he had an. It, it, I mean, he had a healthy ego. You have to, if, yeah. you know what I mean. In this business, as a producer, especially, you have to believe in yourself. So, I mean, I don't think he was like. It wasn't like he was like he thought who he was. It wasn't any of that. But he just knew that. Um, you know, he knew how to do a certain thing a certain way. It wasn't for everyone. That he was a polarizing guy. Some people didn't dig his vibe. Mm -hmm. I know that feeling. Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, just, you know, and he was, what it is. and he was just like, well, you know, I mean, you know, okay, go somewhere else. That's cool. God, you know, Godspeed. Good luck to you. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, it's not like it is, it wasn't then like it is now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was totally different. You, you know, think about guys entering your home or in his case, your home or entering your studio that you got your whole life into. And, you know, people get rowdy. You know, so yeah. you, there was a certain amount of you had to show a certain amount of, you know, gusto to make sure that things went. That's just that part of it. Not yeah, even talking right. about. I mean, Jeff and I had things when we worked together. Mm -hmm. There were people in his band that were not, you know, they didn't end up in his band, but were without mentioning any names. That, <laughs> that, a guy came in and damaged something at my studio and he yeah. ended up going down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, you know, th but there, this is—I'm just using it as an example because it happens. I mean, it yeah. could happen at your place. I'm, it happened at Gillis's place. I know a million times it yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, we—you know—those are things that you had to endure when you were, you know, because we were always—we always wanted people to have great records. Yeah. You know, if our names were going to be on them, I used to have this conversation with him all the time. You know, I, there was a band I was working with, and I just couldn't mix it. I said, Gil, can you take it over and mix it? I just can't do it. 
How come you couldn't mix it? I just I was I had done three records with the band and I was just burnt out. I was like, dude, gotcha. I can't do it. He was like, yeah, I'll do that. And he would send me projects to say, look, I can't work with this guy. He's a blah 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 blah. It just doesn't work. Uh-huh. And he'll work good with you though. And he would come up and we'd make it work. It's just how things yeah. happen. It was just you know when you know somebody's personality, you know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So and people really seem to enjoy coming up to Utica and record. Well, he always called it the get out of Dodge. Yeah, and that's how he referred to uh, to our place. So so I met him. See, so the way I met him was through through Bob. He I I knew of him. He was like the Yeti, you know, in Utica. It was like yeah, was, there's this guy who 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 made who made it. He moved to New York. Yeah. You know, and it was this, it was like this thing where if you looked real hard in the woods, you might see. <laughs> and uh, He was but, the same size as Bigfoot. Yeah, he was. Well, yeah, I didn't really mean it that way, but he probably would laugh. <clears throat> Enormo, he would call himself. So, the legend of Enormo. So, I didn't ever meet the guy at that point, but when I did a record with Bob and my, that band where he's talking about where they threw the guy downstairs. Uh, he's he after he because Bob had we did it Bob had produced it and he said I got I'm gonna send it to my guy I'm gonna send it to to this to Tim to master it when he was re- he was doing surgical pretty yeah good he mastered your record and he mastered he did the a record good record good job on it and, <clears throat> excuse me so that was the first interaction I was like oh cool so this Tim's gonna master this oh, that's neat still I, I had no intersection with the guy at all uh, until many years later many 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 and uh, basically around the where where well let me digress so i started transitioning as they say from being a performer to starting to enter bob's world uh, uh, uh you know the engineering thing as 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 it worked out my musical career was you know not that great and i was always uh very interested as probably bob would attest to i was always really interested in the recording yeah side. but don't don't discount your musical career yes, thank you, Bob. Well, thank you. <laughs> at least somebody <laughs> i've mean, said it to him a million times i just not, not for nothing it. but the, that yeah, that, those, red, that red herring stuff was pretty damn yeah. Yeah. Well, bonus is one of my yeah. favorite albums of yeah, all time absolutely but go ahead i'm not trying to be self-deprecating i no, just mean but, you know i wasn't making but let's a not we don't want people that don't know you to think that that stuff your stuff was really damn good and you were young at that point too but so, yeah. uh, it hadn't turned into a, uh, a, a lucrative financial pursuit. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. Yes. So, anyways, uh, and of course, like, and like, like being an engineer, like, what's hello? Like, that's a lucrative. <laughs> hello, out of the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> what the hell was I was thinking? Anyway, so, all right, I'm getting too long-winded. The point is this: so I, I was learning about the old craft, and and in that process i started being a member of lots of these what became online forums of recording and there's many of them out there uh and this guy was posting all of these hilarious but very insightful slightly brutal (laughs) but very very good posts about you know professional audio and his tag was slipper man (laughs) which Slipperman is is a is a character uh, a Peter Gabriel concoction off the of Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And I'm yeah. I'm a giant Genesis fan. Was in a tribute band, you know, the whole nine. So immediately I'm like, is he is this Slipperman? Slipperman? Like, is this guy on my wavelength here? Slippy, as he was known as. So as I come to find out, Slipperman is Tim Gillis, which knocked me out because I had no idea who this guy was. I thought this guy was who knows Tom Dowd. I don't know who this is, and I'm like, this is Gillis. And he's a Genesis freak on top of it. This is amazing. I got I to gotta somehow meet this guy. Well, serendipity, right? Boom. The aforementioned Christmas CD that 
happens in 2012. This is when you and I intersected for the and first time. And this is when you well. and I intersected for the first time. Mm-hmm. And my father-in-law was was still running Castle, uh, and but was looking to get out of it and retire. And my wife Pam and I were seriously considering taking it over. I had finished school about for engineering, and I had been. I'd worked a little bit there at Castle and interned, and I'd worked with my good friend Lyman at Gecko on a lot of, including the Modus recordings, but nothing, I had never done anything professional or serious yet. Uh, so I really was looking forward to Tim, it, it came to pass that Tim was going to come back to Utica and uh, help make this Christmas CD as a favor, because he at that point in 2012 was in very poor health and felt that he might actually pass away at that point sometime very quickly yeah. and was looking to get out of the studio that he had in Jersey, which at this point had gone from his house studio to buying a place that was called Quantum Sound, built by a whole other guy. Uh, but was a, he bought it. It was in Jersey City, and it was, this was a you know, multi-room shop. He had a dozen people on staff. This was the whole real deal, right? Uh, but he was looking to get out. He was going to pass away. He had married an Australian woman named Janine, and he was going to move to Australia and go die on the beach. And he was going to come home to Utica and do this one last charity thing and say goodbye to everybody that he knew. And that's what he was doing. So he came to Castle to do that. That's heavy. Yeah. yeah. And it was it was like, wow, I'm going to get to meet this guy. But, geez, he's, really, he's just, this is it. So I got to meet him. Were we not waiting for some guy to come in, like, all crippled, though, like, you know, because he's, you know, you, you yeah. heard the story. Yeah. That, you know, he, he was I didn't know waiting, what to, waiting to pass away, and you think this old, frail guy's going to walk in, and... and so he comes in, and yeah. he's, he's pretty gregarious, and he says, he's everything I expected and more. Yeah. Uh, and I'm picking his brain. Now, I'm, so I'm the assistant to the assistant to the assistant, because he brought his own assistant. Yeah. And then the in-house guy was there, Matt Wagner, who was the castle guy. And then there was, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm get lunch... Get coffee, maybe wine accord, <laughs> just lower than low, right? And I'm picking his brain on off time about like, so you know, if you were to outfit the equipment in this place, what would you do? Would you put in a blah blah an SSL? Would you do an API? What would you do? You know, what about this? What about that? What kind of business model would you use? He's looking at me like, why does this kid ask me these questions? Now I didn't want to interrupt his work because it was obvious he wasn't, he was not in, he when he was working, he was working. That was that. Uh, but I made sure every need of his was met. You know, coffee, two splendors, and cream. Every time he turned around, boom, there it was. You know, little stuff like that. That m- I wanted to make sure that he understood that I wasn't. I was on point. And so, anyways, the session ends. It was about a week or not even. And then he's leaving, and I get him in one of the ISO locks and close the door. And he's got his coat on. And I said, "Listen, man, it's been great. I was really such an honor to see somebody like you work. Uh, here's the deal." And I told him basically, like, you know, I think in about a year, maybe give or take, my wife and I are going to be running this place. And he, he looks at me like, weren't you just, you know, emptying the garbage? <laughs> like, you, you know, he kind of just did one of those, you know, how he, used to, he, he would just kind of go, uh, okay, bud, you know, jeez. Uh, and I said, I'd love to chat with you. And he goes, boy, I'm trying to get out of this stuff now. Gosh, tell you what, you know, so we exchanged contact info and the next thing i know he and need come up and stay with us at our house and we get to know each other uh he does that a few times we start talking constantly and then before i know it he comes up and says well here's what i think in typical tim style uh so i think you should be 
affiliated with my shop. I think you should be a sister studio. Uh, nothing financial, nothing legal, but let's let's you you have access to all my resources, all my people. We share work. Uh, we share working procedures. We're going to have to have mirrored technologies. We're going to have to do. You're going to have to learn my way of doing things so that we can work together. So I can send people up to you. You can send work down to me, uh, and you can have access to everything I've got here. All my staff, everything, and uh, and I can introduce you to a whole bunch of people and send you clients. And what do you think? And I was like, well. Pfft. It's a no Are you kidding me? Right. I mean, I was just thinking I was going to get some advice on a, what console to buy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I had no idea. You know. He goes, we should call it something, though. You know, and, you know, and I was like, well, yeah. And I had some ideas of my own of what I wanted to call it. But um, he said, you know, I don't know. It's got to have the name in it so people understand that it's connected. You know, like Air Studios or Cherokee or whatever, you know, Larrabee or what other things, you know, I was like, okay, fine. So he's like, Big Blue Utica, Big Blue, uh, Big Blue North, and it's Bing, okay, let's do that. So he was BBM, we were BBN, and that was that. And so I then uh, spent, the, I went down and lived in Jersey City right behind the studio and worked there for eight months and got my ass beat. I was just one of an intern. It wasn't like, oh, here's the owner guy, you know. Well, that place was mayhem. Fuck yeah. you. I was whatever, whatever I had Did to you happen. go down there, Justin? You were down there? No, I never went down there. Oh, that place no. was I would have so... loved to. So that's where I learned. Now, now school is great, but that's where I learned how to, how to make a record. And to Tim's point, it was largely, or sorry, Bob's point, uh, slip, Bob's point, uh, you know, it was a lot of learning about, uh, it wasn't about learning how to twist an EQ or something. Mm-hmm. It was learning how to run a session, learning how to deal with people, learning how to deal with clients, learning how to be a producer, learning how to handle uh, all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, meeting Eric. And then when we opened up our shop, he came up and, and hooked us up with our console. And then when my wife got sick, uh, he had then sold his place. And it's a restaurant now. Hilarious. Is it really? Yeah, it's a hipster oh. restaurant. It's, but they kept all the big blue stuff. It's so bizarre. That's weird. Yeah, it would work, I think. Then sure. it was a good location so, for a restaurant. So nobody knows what the hell it's going. They got Do the big over, blue potato you ever guy go there? there, but on the door in this like hipster club it was with, on like, the corner. The big, <laughs> so bizarre. It was a good, it was a good location for. Oh, yeah, well, that's yeah. why the restaurant guys wanted it because yeah. that place is all gentrified now. Sure. It used to be Little Havana. Yeah. And now it's you know now it's a million dollars per square foot or whatever. Sure. Wow. But he spent he moved up here for for a damn near three years between 2014 and 2017 because he he sold his place and was going to move to Australia. Well, you can't just move to Australia. It no. ain't that easy. They don't want no. you. Even, Takes you about two years just to get your dogs. His over there. dogs yeah. were two years of it. That's yeah. what uh, kept him here. Yeah. Yeah. And so my wife was in the hospital sick, and he kept he was there with me the whole time. Got me through. We just opened. And he sat with me every day and got me through everything. And, and he and I and Eric wired the whole place. And he, you know, he's the one who said, you got to have a residence. It's got to be residential. Like Bob's, he's like, you've got to have a get out of Dodge place. People come from the city and they want to get out of the, you know, the rat race or whatever. So, you know, honestly, uh, I didn't know him the way these guys knew him. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm only 50 and I was 10 years behind. Yeah, but you, had a, you, you were more around him near the end. I was around him near yeah. the end. More and than it, we were. Right. You know. And then when he moved to Tasmania, obviously, uh, you know, if he still came home every year, sometimes twice. He was insane. Well, he had his father pass yeah, away. his father passed. His mom's elderly. come home for a holiday. See his mom, sure. It's a 26-hour flight. Oof. You know. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, it, that was one thing I never really was too cool about because 
I just he kind of like it would always be in my mind like we could like if he when he was in Jersey I could go there or he could come and see me without a lot of thought but when he moved that far away it was like well yeah. you know that's it I yeah. mean like it's the South you know, I'm never going there to visit no I mean there, I could never a never do it that long of a that furthest I ever went was Heathrow from L A to Heathrow and that was I don't know fourteen hours there's no way. You know, plus but, the fourteen-hour time change. Right, I mean, I, there was just no way. But it was there was, was there all, a day ahead plus fourteen. It's yeah, all yeah, water underneath you. Too. Yeah, it's right, all water. Right. Yeah, exactly. you know, and you think to yourself, you know, I thought to myself all the time, well, you know, we were close, and we still would, you know, we'd have phone conversations. Not as you know, as you get older, things, you know, you're busy, you don't have, have as much going on. But it was really disappointing to me to have him <clears> that far away. I understood why he was there, but it was always like I would think to myself, he kind of exiled himself, like we could. We didn't yeah. have access to him, yeah. you know, yeah. which was which was bad because we still played like a lot of people don't know, but we still played music like I would write stuff and he would play on it and send yeah. it to me. I mean, yeah. we still were doing that. Like I have a whole album that he played drums on a stuff that I wrote that I now probably will go back and start working on again. Oh, cool. But I think I think it's the only album that's out there right now that he played on that never got finished. It's whipping too. it's great stuff. Yeah. And uh, but that part was always still there. Like we could just make those that communication. And if I sent him stuff, he'd say, "Yeah, Bob. You know, either he hated or like he loved it, or he hated it. And he usually liked it all. And he, well, I'll start. I'll get drum tracks together for it. Yeah. But you know, that's the stuff that when they go, you go that far away, that yeah. really gets tough to. But I totally. I'm not saying it was a bad thing because I understand why he did it for his health reasons and plus. Mm-hmm. He was ready to retire. I mean, uh, you know, if, the way I looked at it when he was doing Big Blue, I think it was a fantastic thing. And a, but it was, a, I think it was a really huge undertaking and really took, to be honest, it with really it, took a toll on him. It beat the shit out of it, him. It, it is what ultimately led to him. Yeah, to right. Him dying. Him dying, right. Him. And I would have talks well. with him. You know, that was me and him. Our our relationship was. We never had a like. We never had a fist fight. We never had. We had little things where we would have fights, but those are people. But we could sit down and talk to each other about things that a lot of people couldn't. And we had so much in common. Like I could say to him, "Gil, you're nuts. You got this huge note you're paying every month, and I understand what you're trying to do. You know, we all want to push that square rock up a hill and make it go." And I had uh, Im- immense respect for him doing that. But on the other hand, I didn't want to lose my friend because I seen he was really hurt and it was a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a lot. I mean, you were there. Well, I think Tim those was, guys were working to, around the clock, and yeah. he was one of those guys. So, as of recent times, you know, he had laid back a little. Yes, right. And and uh, you know, I I was just still working harder than any of us could ever. Well, dream of yes and no. At first, you know, you know he had a, he had a stroke in 2017 <clears throat> down there. Yeah, which certainly was a setback for him for a minute, definitely. But I don't want to interrupt you. But yeah. here, the guy is so so driven, and so how he was. The doctor said you're going to have problems with the left side of your brain. He learned to play drums left-handed. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. So to your point, yes, he was. He he was like, oh yeah, I'll show you. He could you. play Fuck drums you. as good as he could play left-handed, right-handed. He worked that out to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, you know how hard that is to do yeah. after well, all Car- those Carl, years. Carl, he was pissed because he couldn't play Carnival Nine any good anymore. Uh, you know. Or or whatever he was trying. They're like you know, it's like Tim. You just had a stroke eight months ago. Like yeah. you know, like relax a little. And, <laughs> and and to your you know, he would take the dogs for a walk out there, and uh, you know, he do he do like twenty five miles. Now you know every day, and and this was the extreme nature of of right. uh, You know that was both. It was a double edged sword. You know, it was great, but even his doctors would say like, you know, this is awesome that you're bouncing back and you're really taking to 
rehabbing yourself, but you know, you don't have to go that far. Like, right. Right. You know, and these 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 poor the poor dogs, Bandit and and uh, and and uh, uh, Pinky. I mean, they got like legs like this. Yeah. Twenty five miles. You know. Oh my God. Anyways, he you know that's the way he was. He was an extreme know? guy. He would take everything yeah. to the extreme, but he was he always you know he really liked the success of. You know, he wanted success. Yes. He liked that aspect of it. it was he big... was getting bored mm-hmm. is was what taking, was happening in Tassie. He would take naps on the floor behind the console. Like, oh, I'd sure. shut my eyes for half an hour. And he'd, everybody would be out doing their thing and everything. He'd be, he'd sleeping. be sleeping. Yeah. On the floor. Yeah, yeah. I could never do <clears> that. No, no. I couldn't so do he'd that. He'd wake me up in a half an hour. Yeah. Right. A half an hour, you're just up 25 hours. You wake you up in a half yeah. an right. hour. I mean, they would think nothing. nothing. See, they would think nothing of working like 48 hours in a row. Oh, yeah. He told me the story. He was, yeah. at, uh, he was at DeLongview, and they did uh, 50 hours. Oh, my God. And he said he's got pictures of it. that He, do- he says, I don't even remember taking these photos. He goes, we were just so out of our mind. As an example, you know, when I had the studio and I closed, when I officially, when I left, and then Tony took the place over, it was 99 that day. I says, I'm never drinking coffee again. I have not had coffee since then. And I don't want to say it's not nothing to do with your, your radio thing or whatever. But I just don't. For me, it just it was killing me. We would drink coffee yeah. oh my God. endlessly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was killing me. Get, I couldn't, yeah. I, it was you always had a mug when we were when I was 16. 99, I stopped. Yeah. I have not had a cup of coffee since 1999. And if we weren't doing that, we were drinking. Heavy. Yeah. Heavy. Like heavy drinking. I don't do that anymore either, but right. that's that's what kept us. That was our fuel. Yeah. You know? I mean, your fuel, you know, and especially if you've got a place where you're running it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a lot of people working for him in the end, which was great. I was so happy for him that he had this big crew because, you know, we, he had a lot. He had a lot going on. He had a lot he had accomplished every But he month. liked it. He liked he having liked a gun that. to his yeah, head. Yeah, he liked that. He liked he having that. a gun to his head. He that's how it. he's on a rate. He, if it, so, it's where I was trying to get at before i was rambling was that recent times you know he has he had a beautiful house in beauty point in tasmania a beautiful view nothing to really do and uh he was recovering from the stroke he was uh him and neen were both on a pretty uh intense uh diet and they were both losing a lot of weight and uh they were really having a good, but he was really getting bored oh yeah i i could never figure out how he could exist yeah. That's what I mean. It's like he cut himself off. You almost like, yeah. uh, you know, like you can't let go of a, a style like that whole style yeah. can't just go no. away. Like you so can't just stop doing to the wall that. Forever no, so, then. Well, slowly but surely, uh, and it's, I'm sure too much to Neen's uh, chagrin, uh, he started assembling a pretty... I mean, what most people would consider a pretty serious setup in this house. <laughs> of course. You know, calling up, uh, you know, yeah. Josh, Rupert, Neve, and getting, you know, and I, he would, all the stuff would get shipped to us because it, it cost, you know, a fortune to ship to Australia. So it would get shipped to us, and then we would ship it there, and it was a way of sort of uh, getting around all the exhaustive freight. So he was constantly going, oh, by the way, there's going to be a couple boxes of shit coming to your place. Just tell Eric, and he's going to ship it to me, and it's, you know... Like geez, here we go. It's on the, as we used to call it the old old El Rampo, yeah. which El was Rampo. right. And so he was on the old El Rampo right up till the point he just passed. He was he was starting to work again for wow. money. He was starting to do a lot of jobs. Every time I last time I talked to him, I was like, "How's it going?" Because I would Facetime him <clears throat> once every week, pretty regularly. I would see and talk to him more in Tasmania than I did when he was in Jersey, actually. Oh wow. Um, so 
he was like, oh, I'm behind on the Zydeco thing, and I got, you know, the Fiends record, and I'm, I'm, I am I got Jerry breathing down my neck for that and this and that. And that's what he liked. Yeah. He sure. He was never happier than sure. when he was under the gun. We all want to work. We all, st- you know, I'm still working. You want to work. You want to continue yeah. to work. But you also have, there's that balance that he never could he really. He could never do that no. balance. Never had the balance. No, because he was going right back. He was diving right back into it. Even but- when he would go on a vacation, he was hard-pressed to. To really just you know go on vacation? Oh, yeah, no. You know? Oh, the vacation. Well, yeah, Christmas. we won't. Talk about that. No. But you know that that's that. Oh. He was as he would say he was doomed. You know that's what he would say. He would say yeah. you got the mark just like I do. He would say to me, "You're doomed. <laughs> you can't do it. You can't not do it. But you know doing it's gonna kill you. <laughs> and what can you do? You know what yeah. I mean? And and I, I mean it's it's sort of true. Unfortunately, I never imagined it would be this soon. I didn't ever think Tim was going to live to be a ripe old age. Right. Just between his health issues before the stroke and after and his lifestyle in general. Mm. But I certainly didn't expect it to be right now. No. What what do you think was the best lesson he's ever taught you? Endure. Persevere. Just keep showing up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been getting me through right now because it's been tough. Yeah. Without sounding corny you know i don't have a lot i don't have a super tight relationship with my father and so um he's he was like a dad he was like my dad and i i know it sounds bizarro not at all but he really was it's certainly my best friend and it was it really really sucks that he's not here it's like I can't even tell you i had a couple nights it's tough to sleep and yeah not not, not morning like but just you know, things flashing, and I know Carl suffered from it, too. You know, just things very, you know, things flashing back to, you know, you remember things, like oh, yeah. weird things, like, you know, being in a club and wherever, you know, and a conversation that might have happened backstage or, you know, certain things. Those are the things that kind of... Just the nicknames. Nicknames, too. Yeah. I mean, we had so many nicknames for everybody. We had more fun nicknaming people. And yeah. Carl, that, Carl that was Rampa nickname? thing, you know how that started, that Rampa thing? That was, that was the name of the bass player from... Uh, Whatever the soup of the Al Rampa, <laughs> or Rampy, was the name of the bass player for... Um, uh, Bill Haley in the Comets. Oh, no kidding. And I used to bust Gil's chops and say, we would say Al Rampa, and then it turned into Al Rampo, and then, uh, and everything yeah. was, we were always ramping in Luftwaffe. Yeah, we were always yeah, ramping yeah. everything yeah, up. Yeah, that was the yeah. whole point. That's what we used to say. We're, we're going to ramp it up. You yeah, know? We're right. Gonna, next week, we're going to come dressed as the Flying Pacini Brothers, right, which we did. <laughs> we would go out there as acrobats, you know what I mean? That, or whatever, just as an example, those are the things. And then, you know, we'd look at each other, and it would be weeks. We'd be like, well, what are we going to do this week? How yeah, much further yeah. can you take this thing? Yeah. You know, we made him a mug, you know, it said on the L.I. Rampo. That was his yeah. mug when he'd come to, visit, I believe you know, yeah. and that was what he would say to us. You know, we'd be, be like, I think you should I could talk to my buddy Josh. This was at the beginning of everything. Where it's like, I think you should get one of the Neves he's selling. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, OK. I mean, I. Well, all right. Uh, that sounds pretty serious. And he goes, let's go get on the old L.I. Rampo. You know, he was. Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. You know, sometimes it was a little like, oh, Jesus, you know. Well, he didn't, didn't a... always go 100% right, but, boy, you know, you just had to trust him. You know, he was he was reckless, but he knew what the fuck he was doing. Yeah, his filtering you know? was different. Like, I if I would always worry about if I could pay for this or pay for right. that. He would just do it. He just would figure it out. It'll work itself out. It'll figure it out. I just couldn't do it like that, you know. No, it just wasn't me. 
And I, we, we clashed a little. You know, he me. was always like, you got to hire a staff. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to get a B room. You know, um, we had some, I don't, we didn't fight, but I mean, we had some differences of sure. opinion on, on how the, how our shop could be run versus what he thought. Um, he always told me, you know, the place is too clean. Well, what do you think he used to say to me? Right. He says, your place is too clean. He goes, it doesn't look like doesn't anybody's, look like anybody's, anybody's using it. It looks like it, yeah. a museum. And I said, yeah. I said, Bob, this is a different thing. It's a different market. I said, you know, when you buy a used car, you don't want to see everybody's shit in it. You want to think that you're the first one in it. And I said, you know, people. Well, down there, they know, expected everything to look different. like a shit. It's yeah. a whole you know, different was, thing. You know, and after a while, he, he understood what I was, where I was coming from. I didn't want the overhead of a staff. I didn't want the overhead. To Bob's point, I didn't, I didn't want to live that life no. of like sweating in the middle of the night going oh my god I'm three, you know I'm $300,000 in the hole yeah. how am I going to get out of this I better I better get up and hustle especially in these times I mean people don't yeah. record like everything they used changed to. everybody's recording in their house yeah tell you me know, about they don't it. record like you no. know I mean you know our you know our beginnings were you you interned like Jeff even did it you went yeah. and interned and you know I interned at two different places and then I opened my place but you didn't and made countless things before I opened my place, but now people just get a gear, they throw it in a room, and they're you know, yeah. let's go, and they charge people. Yeah, you know, to me that I'm I'm baffled by that how they can actually charge, or somebody gets a new piece of gear and they're using it on the session as soon as it comes in. Yeah. Well, I what's could never even, do that, or what's right. even more There's sort no of way. baffling as the idea of the musicians themselves doing it right you know i uh, just coming out of a situation that i don't want to talk about it but a situation that i was in you know i would always tell the band what why do you want to have a studio in your house for what be musicians write songs don't don't people realize that once you slip you go from this to that like if you go out and you buy a uh, a computer, and you get Pro Tools, and you sit behind. You don't learn it in one day. So now you're spending all this time learning that. You think you're playing your instrument? No, you're not. You're not playing your instrument at all. Are you writing songs? No, because I'm learning how to use these programs. Right. So all of a sudden you're an engineer. You're engineering. You're not a musician anymore. And it's right lane, left brain stuff. Right. Too. It just yeah, doesn't. It not. just doesn't fly. You know what yeah. I mean? On any level, it just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole I, different I guess, deal. I guess the best part about all that stuff on the on the other end, though, I mean, for for myself personally, like, like I because I worked at Apple for all those years, I got Logic for free. So there it is on my computer, yeah. and you know I got an interface. And yeah, but I, you're also it, not bringing people to your home exactly. and charging them. You that's know what I mean? Exactly that's what right. I'm saying. And that's, that's that's the point I'm going to make is that I use it like to if if I want to if I want to rehearse if I want to practice if I want to. Oh, I'm, Carl, Carl, I'm sure I you would have loved to have been able to sit down and and compose with the tools we have today back in right. the day. Just, Anybody would have right. right? But to make a record, you, I, I just, I just oh think it's God, a different no. mindset. To yeah, make, I to tell say, anybody, oh, I can make a record. I tell anybody I mean, that says, "Oh, I'm just going to make a record in my house." I'm like, "You're an idiot." Like, well, that's people, have, people, thing. Have, I mean, what like, everybody has now, practically <laughs> on their phone, right? You'd have to set up a reel-to-reel recorder and, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, yeah right. just to get sure. four tracks sure. out of right. it. And then, really, in, but, the, in the in the whole grand scheme of things, you could have. The best freaking gear and all that, and in the end, it still ends up being played on your phone and mostly in mono. Right, you know what right. I mean. So it's well, like, it, it, hear, hear, it's, hear me so, out though. Too. You know, we're in the whole other. That's a whole other yeah. discussion. I mean, the, but, be, the best part about going into a studio and going into, to you know, having a producer or having an engineer as a producer. Aspect. But not only that, but you have somebody that 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 wasn't there when you're creating. Somebody with a totally different. Sure. Like outlook on the music that they're hearing, they're hearing this for the first time. I mean, what we what we did with uh, Bradisi's record, mm -hmm. you know, they put all that time into writing, and we came in and we went, no, 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 do this, do this, do this. and you know, and it ended up becoming a great a great record. But because it was the outside 
You know, and Tim was so good at that. Tim well, was, that was so good on, Tim, on. Well, after you make three or four hundred records, sure, you better but, uh, be yeah. pretty good at it. I mean, but that's I mean, like, if, you, if you go and look at all the all the uh, um, all the old uh, message boards and stuff like that, I mean, people talk about even people that that he worked with when he first was starting out in that whole thing. I mean, they, you know, yeah, I, I worked with Tim when he was at his house or whatever, and he was just there was something about him, and it was like you know, just the way he was as a person even way back when. Well, you never, you, you know, you never even no matter how good the group is, you, yeah. If you if you're the producer, you're there to do a job. Sure. I mean, there were some producers that just sat in the armchair and said, "Yeah, that's great." They were right. they were what I call client buffers. They just sure. buffed the shit out of the clients. But mm-hmm. we didn't. That was in our way our attack of things. I mean, when I was working with Jeff, I I threw millions of ideas. Let's try this. Let's yep. try that. Yep. Let's do this. Let's do it. And they were Put, tight. Let's play the string machine. On yeah, that. Right. Yeah, yeah, they were tight. They were tight. Oh, I tortured poor Carl on one record. I made him play every keyboard I had in the place. And at that point, I probably had... <laughs> 25 keyboards. It was on every Robbie, song was a Robbie different Cro- Robbie Cro- Oh, Cooper's yeah, you were on the record. Cooper's record. Yeah, I yeah. made him play every keyboard. It was torture enough just playing. <laughs> they don't even make this. Yeah, but he wasn't. You know what, though, Jeff? He wasn't even in the studio. I don't think we. No. He was never there. Well, that's the no. that's probably why I got finished. Yeah, I never let. He just came in and sang. You know, he never. He come in and sang. And me and Carl were there for hours. Carl, I'm going to pull the Birotron. We're going to use it on this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's use the Mellotron. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's use this keyboard and that keyboard. But that's what we were there for. Yeah. You're trying to bring another creative energy into it well and t- it, yeah t- 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 sorry I didn't no no and you're not you're not interrupting Tim, tim's thing was communal yes. recording right yeah. that's what you're talking about the yeah. inner the exchange of let's work together play to our strengths that would be a lesson i learned from tim play to your strengths you and know. there were certain things that we just couldn't let pass. I mean, if you, and especially for him, he was a drummer. So if you got a guy in the band and he's not cutting the drum part, I mean, there's there's beatings. beatings. Either you do it now, you can move things around on the grid and Pro Tools. But back when we were recording the analog decks, if you couldn't do it, you just didn't do yeah. it. And, mm-hmm. and then for me, ultimately, Lenny Milano would get the call. Lenny, can you come down or I need you to play on these tracks? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, this is the thing that... Like we were saying, people they you there'll be people that will garner hate because yeah. you you know they had to be replaced to make a right. great record. Now they're really not replaced in the band. They can play all the live shows and learn how to play it. But for this particular thing, we got to go this route. It wasn't because you didn't like somebody. You just had to make trying to make the best yeah. record you could. Lenny was the make. greatest at ass backwards recording. You could have the whole record done and then be like, Lenny, come in. Well, you I know? did that and many would, a times. Yeah, he would record. You know. And sometimes, majority of times, there was no click, and he'd have to come in there and play those freaking yeah. songs, and he'd do it amazing. But, you know, I mean, Gil could do that, too. Sure. I yeah. mean, this is, there were certain people that had that, you know, that thing, you know, about them. That I mean, if, if he was here, Gil, and we were talking about recording experiences, I'm sure he would bring up his first real recording experience that he played drums on, and Carl Kennedy was the producer. Mm. He took a beating like you wouldn't yeah. believe, because yeah. at that point, he didn't play to the click. Right, right. And I was there, because I was the assistant. As a Yager's dude, right? yeah, I, he. I'm telling you, he. I, I'm sure he wanted to kill Carl many times through there. Me and Carl are still good friends, and Carl I'm from what, the Rods, right? Yeah, and okay. I contacted Carl to tell him about Gil because we're still very good friends. We talk all the time, and he felt horrible because he loved Gillis and he thought he was a great player. But when they were making that record, they were bunting heads like you wouldn't believe. And that's what sometimes happens. It happens, you know. I mean, it's you suffer for art, as Tim would always right. say. Yeah, it's you know, you you. It's not all roses. It's not all kumbaya. Yeah. It's hard work to make good fucking records all this rolling apart is what we're trying to say is that's part you know we don't want to like make a thing like gil killed himself doing what he did but that's part of the stress of absolutely uh, and if you do it for years and years and make you know i I, you know three four hundred records i know i did it so i mean i he made as many we we, claimed to me that he had 
last counted and he gave up was somewhere around 700. Yeah, wow. and I, I know I was right around 500 wow. at least. And yeah. I forgot. You forgot. Yeah, I was doing course. a discography for somebody, and I would have the book next to my table when I was watching TV and with, with my wife, and all of a sudden the name would come in. I'd write the name in because you don't remember. Yeah. Of course. And yeah. then when I, when I post things, people go, well, what about that record we did? You know, you don't read. People think that you remember all those experiences, and you would love to, but you don't. No. I don't you remember probably what do I once did they bring them up, though. I mean, like, you forget about them, but then all of a sudden somebody <laughs> yeah. will bring something up. We know like, some of them, oh, but yeah. you know some, Justin. Yeah. I don't even remember. Like, sure. people, and they'll send oh, yeah. me copies of it, and I'll go, really? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. But 10 years, I did it at just downtown 10 years. It's a lot of time, 10 yeah, years. Sure. Somebody sent me something they, last year. I was, they sent me the final product, and I'm on there playing keyboards. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I did that? Know? Who knows? You know, you just don't know, you know. And But these are the part of the stresses that really added to, you know, he was diabolical as far as work. His work ethic yeah. was incredibly staunch but it, it took a toll on him and it you know i could see it, it being his friend and i would talk to him about it and he you know said so he would adjust sometimes he'd start working out and he'd come back yeah. like really strong right. and he'd yeah. look great and you know we'd see each other and we we're both looking good and we we're real happy about things and then we'd see each other and we we're both blobs you know it's <laughs> like through the years it was all that up and down stuff you know yeah but he, he, was, he was more he was more i didn't have as much torture as he did because i didn't take on as much he took on a lot of responsibility yeah. I was grant. I was in Utica, and I was busy, busy that way. But I didn't have the financial burden. No, he, he bought a six hundred thousand dollar console. console. Yeah, I mean, you know, six hundred thousand dollars. We're talking two thousand. Two thousand. We're talking yeah. twenty-two years. Six hundred thousand. Like million. One point two million. What do you probably, think? You know? What do you think the note was every month? It had to be twenty to and thirty thousand. Nine, nine yeah. power. Nine power supplies that had to be left on twenty-four seven. Yeah, you could never Ooh. turn the board and off. And had to be cooled. So in the summer, they had to be air-conditioned. So now you got the electric bill on top of that. Yeah, so well, yeah. you got the Con Ed yeah. bill coming in. He told me it was sure. like somewhere on the lines of $2,200 a month, just the power bill. Wow. Wow. Well, th- what do you think the console had to be? Sure. 20000 a month. Yes. Yeah. So he had His a- console was uh, SSL? No, this was the Neve. 1998. That was the Neve, yeah. Okay, the yeah, Neve. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was an Amec, but the Neve, yeah. Neve, it was yeah. Neve, yeah. Various rooms with, with boards in them, too, and other people working. So all those people are working as a populace to make this money to pay those bills. Yeah, that's bills. the A room. Right. The, the B a- room had the uh, the Mozart in it. Yeah. And the C room had the big in it. Had the big in it. And, then he and had I had a, a big at my And then place. he had an editing yeah. station and then another room that he never quite finished as a D room. But, I mean, you know, on and on. Plus, he's feeding all these kids right. every day. He's not necessarily paying them. Some of them, the higher, the less. Like there's more senior staff, a couple of guys he would pay, but, but who could afford to pay him? He's feeding him. Sure. He's feeding him every day. Right. He needs yeah. to be upstairs cooking for twelve people. Right. You know, so that he's still paying him. Where's that coming from? It's not coming from the food ferry. Yeah, he's still paying him. Absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Yeah. I don't think people have any understanding of who he was. That's why I'm bringing right, it up right. because I want people to know that he really, he really died for his art. He did. I mean, yeah. he really did, and he was really very uh, driven at that point. And, you know, I would love to – I've seen him a lot during those years because he would come to my place and work all the time. And I would generally leave the building and just give them keys because I would get – Totally disgusted because the place would look like a bomb would go off. Yes, but I would he sneak in. I would sneak in like early before they were up and stuff and clean. You'd see me running around with a bottle of cinch, cleaning everything. And he sure. would just, he'd come in and go, I knew you were here. I smell, it smells good in here. <laughs> and we would sit and talk. And I would say to him, Dude, I said, You got this going on. There's three projects going on back. Is there anything? And I was, if I had light times, I would say, Well, send them up. I'll do them. I mean, I'm, I always would, had the attitude of if the studio, I owned it, if it wasn't busy, 
I might as well work anyways. It's there. I got to pay the electric bill. Get people in. Let's work. Yeah. Yeah. So I would try to loosen his load for him, and he would do things for me. He'd do, I'll do this mastering for you if you do this for me. Yeah. And that's how we work. He but, loved to do that the kind barter, of yeah, yeah. The barter. And I, but I was always very concerned for him because he wasn't mm-hmm. a, he, you could see he was not a well guy. And this was before no. things really started to hit the fan. Yeah. You know, and then when I heard what was going on, I was like, oh my God. So you knew him like that, though. I mean, like when I met him, it was still, I mean, it was like, I thought that that's just how he was. You no, know no, we, mean? Were, but, you know, I, we but, knew each other since we were sure, kids. Sure, we were, sure. we were, you know, kids, kids, like kids. He I came mean, to my freaking graduation party. Here's a great story. So he comes to my graduation party with Mike Carl, who's now gone. He died too. He was murdered, actually. Um, they come to my graduation party, an Italian guy, and they knew my Gillis knew my father because that's a whole other thing. Gillis worked with me at my father's cleaning company at night and was one of the janitors. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but he need, when he needed money, my father, my father loved Gillis. Mm-hmm. He used to call McGillis Okinawa because <laughs> of his head. He said, you got an Okinawa. I don't know. My father had a nickname. They used to call him Okinawa. They had more. Him and my father used to have. My father was that type of guy. He was a real funny guy. And they had, would have more laughs. And we had all musicians working. And we used to clean the UFCW building on the parkway, which is now the Utica school building. You yeah, know, that beautiful. Be, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we cleaned that all through the UFCW thing. My father owned that business. So we had musicians working. So, um, you know, they came to my my, uh, graduation party. My mother had never seen them. And Gillis comes in with that long hair with the black trench coat, black pants on. And Mike Carl was this little, his nickname was Sludge. So you go from there, right? Right? (laughs) Silent Mike. By the way, what was Carl's nickname? Did you get one? No. He said whatever the size is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Carl never had it. Because you were Ziggy. And yeah, well, that didn't not happen until really. way later. So you didn't have one really either. No, you guys not escaped. early. No, not early. The inner no. circle is No, but Gil was Gil. Yeah. Um, Gillis didn't start calling me Ziggy until, Luft, until the Luftwaffe kind of era. But okay. you see where that Ziggy thing comes from is all the way back to when we did that Ziggy first time. Yeah, that. Right. So that's why he willed that in. But see, I wonder my mother called him Gillis. From too, yeah. But she thought that was his first name yeah, like he so was a did Canadian he come up with that himself? So did my mother. My mother you know? thought Tim's first name was Gillis, too. She no, was, his first name I I'd heard Slipperman, too. I'd heard that before. My mother was so mad. My mother was so mad when she found out that his name was not Gillis, his first name. She was like, why are you guys calling this guy Gillis? That's his last name. His first name's Timmy. Uh, so my mother always called him Timmy. Timmy. Okay. Called yeah. him Timmy. But when they came to that graduation party, they ate like crazy. And my parents yeah. were really cool. They drank like crazy. Mm-hmm. But they, no, we weren't driving yet, none of us. So when they came and picked them up, they go back to the house on Shaw Street. And I don't know what happened. When they got out of the car, they had a huge fist fight. And Gillis ended up breaking Mike Carl's collarbone. Oh, my God. So now we got a band, a trio. That's that for the band for a while. Freaking bass player's got a broken collarbone. They've oh chased God. each other through the house with meat cleavers. Yeah, they went through glass windows together. <laughs> no, they, yeah. Meat cleavers out of the knife rack. No, no oh. joke. Ran over the Christmas tree, broke the 100-year-old ornaments. Yep. <laughs> those guys used to fight like cats and dogs, but they were the best. That, that Those two guys were the best <laughs> friends ever, yeah. but they would fight like you wouldn't believe. I do realize that I met him and spent most of my time with him at a point in his life where he had calmed down. Oh, sure, my God. Sure. Oh, Carl, sure. can you tell the story about the wine cellar? You told it before we went on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were practicing, and so eighty-two, probably no, but even even before no seventies, probably nineteen eighty, eighty seventy-nine, yeah, eighty, right around there. Maybe. Yeah. Well, Mr. Gillis, uh, off to the side, had a small. It's not really a wine cellar. It's only thirty bottles. Or yeah, so. it had a big rack with wine in it. Tim, come out one day. Oh. Well, 
Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, a Dixie cup in it. Right? Yeah. Dixie cup. Father comes down in between some screaming. Uh, General Giant <laughs> song or whatever, yeah. song we were playing and says, Say, Tim, I'm missing something out of the line cellar. Maybe it fell down and broke. Can you look around for it? It's worth $1,200. Oh, Jesus. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to know his parents were very proper. I mean, they were friends with the Reagans. They were very oh, proper yeah. people. They knew Ronald and Nancy Reagan. You know, grew, Gillis grew up wow. with no TV. There was no TV in that home. You know, so like they, you said, they rented the TV when the Riggers were on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, well, he was when a military man. Would speak, yeah, dad. So yeah. very, he, and he looked, he he looked like a professional guy. And his mother was, she was, would you say she was from Rhode Island or something? Rhode like Island. that? Yeah. So they were very, you know, together people. Yeah. They were, you know, on a different level. You know, I'm back home, and you know, they're, you know, it's who's talking about who's getting shot. You know, but when you would go there, but they didn't have those airs about them. They were yeah. very nice people and and very accommodating. You know. He was the black sheep of the family a little bit. Wasn't yeah, he? oh, he definitely was. There's no question about it. I remember he had four or five sisters. I don't remember. If it four, is it four or five it's sisters? Four, right? Four and the one and brother. The brother. So one of the sisters, we were at the house that Wait, day. Wait, there's another Mel Gillis? Yeah. yeah, Steve. Is there any, yeah, is there any similarities? They, they look like, a little bit alike. They look a lot alike. Oh, wow. The wow. swam. No. Yeah. What? The swam. The swam. <laughs> yep. So anyways, one of the sisters was having trouble with a kid. And he was coming to the house. The sister says he's coming to the house. And me and Gillis were downstairs writing. And Gillis says, this guy's coming to the house. And his name was something. And it sounded like Rhino. So Gillis says, there's this guy coming to the house. His name is Rhino. He goes, we may have to take him out. <laughs> I was like, okay. I said, I was all game for him. Yeah, we were young. Sure. I says, okay. I says, this will be great. So she's on the phone with this guy. You know, and they had a long telephone cord. Remember that long telephone cord? It was in the kitchen, and she's in the other room with it. And me and Gillis are in that room. And, you know, it was one of those phones that you, you put put it on the hook, and the hook would hang up. Yeah, sure. We were piling pencils on that hook <laughs> till it would finally. Yeah. So it finally hangs up, and the kid's pissed. He's coming over. He's coming over. Yeah. So me and Gillis, they had a, a closet when you walked in the house. They had all these raincoats. So me and him donned these yellow rain slickers. <laughs> we looked absolutely insane with those with the rain slicker hats on. And we went upstairs because he had a, a high house. And the entryway, there was no roof over it. And when the kid came, we pelted him with bananas. <laughs> okay, now this, we pelted him with bananas. This is infamy at their house. This is only the beginning. We pelted the kid with bananas, okay? And so the kid's like, he was, he was a total nerd kid. And he's, you know, he's pining for the sister. And then, I'm going to kill you guys. So Gillis is big. And I was out of my mind. So we come running downstairs with these rain slickers on, and we go after this kid, and he takes off. <laughs> so we could see him. He's still looking at us. And me and Gillis get up and do a dance. We're dancing, doing the banana dance <laughs> with rain slickers on in the rain with bananas all over the place. And the sister, I, I, I think she thought we were completely out of our minds because she actually liked this kid, but we were mad because he was giving her a hard time. Yeah. He had to be there, but it was really... A moment that I'll never. I told I was. It was so funny that I've told my son about it. Yeah. And he brings it up. At, you know, when I talk about Gillis, he'll, he'll say to me, "Yeah, when you guys took Rhino out, the, did the bananas?" <laughs> yeah. That was just one of many things. But I, that was a, a, a memory I will never forget. Me and that knucklehead out there with rain slickers on, and yeah. they didn't fit. Like I had his sister's rain slicker on the arms, and we're out there <laughs> dancing on the thing. And Goldstein, that was probably across the street, Slade was probably Slade saying. Goldstein. Slade was probably saying these guys are out of their effing mind. Yeah. <laughs> that was one memory that I'll. Ne- I mean, there's so many memories, but that memory was a fight because it was just me and him that day, and we were always at that house. We were constantly there. Yeah. He would what torture we- me with. Uh, he he didn't tell me he had a remote way of controlling my uh, 
computer. Oh, good God. Oh, boy. Didn't tell me. So I'm in this. I'm doing a session. He didn't get fun. I'm doing a big session that he he tended to stay like when he was living here. If I had a big session, he would just he wouldn't come in and loom. He would let me do it. He didn't. You know, he was only he was really only there when nobody else was there. He didn't because he didn't. She didn't want to be like because he'd start taking it over and producing sure. it, and he sure. knew that about himself, yeah. and he didn't want to do that. So, but of course, to fuck with me, he'd be out on Genesee Street. And I'd be doing something, and all of a sudden, my mouse would move and go over here and click something. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is that just happened? No, I don't want that. And, you know, and he, knew, he knew exactly what to do sure. to make my life hell, too. You know, <laughs> cause some total bedlam. And then I'd go, okay. And then I'd just, you know, you just go, oh, it's a computer thing, weird, anyways. And then I'd go, and then boom, would go over here and delete something. And I'd be like, what the fuck? is going on and then i'd get a text on my phone ho 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 <laughs> that was his friend well, yeah he was always yeah. he was you a know, secret for sure gil was a secret assassin he oh would, yeah he would you'd get blamed for things that he would do he was yeah. a definitely a secret assassin when it came to things like that he would plot things and you, you know if you were there or and then you know guilt by association i was saying how in luftwaffe we had a crew but he would always want to drive that damn truck the big truck. You got to play drums all night. We're driving the truck forward and back. Well, we used to practice at the White Tower building, and a lot of times that elevator would break, and we were on the third floor, and we carried all our own PA. Oh yeah. So you're Oof. talking about you're talking about you know scoops. Yeah. All this back the line. good old days. And we had we brought all these uh, 50 gallon drums on the road for the back for the stage. Oh, the stage was retarded. It was just huge, and we would get there, and if we, at like four or five o'clock in the morning, we'd have to unload it because the truck would have to go back. It was a rental. You'd have to pay another day. There's all our profit. Yeah. So we'd get there, and the the elevator would break. And he would, we'd have to carry all the equipment up there. And he would come running in the place. When, when, as soon as he heard the elevator, he would get that look on his face and get down on the floor and start doing push-ups. Okay, we got to get all that gear up there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And me and Paul would just look at each other and go, "Oh God, another hour and a half carrying those effing scoops up the." Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, he, and he would be like all jazzed up. We got to get that truck back. We got to go. We got to go. We got to get that truck back. I you guess know? there was a session he was doing. It was a big session. He'd ramp he... Eric up like crazy. Oh, Come yeah, on, yeah, Eric. Yeah. We're carrying yeah. that. Well, Eric would be like, oh, all right. There was a metal amp rack that had all the amps in it. Oof. Metal. Because oh. we couldn't, if we didn't have road cases, then yeah. it was in a metal amp rack. Thousand pounds. He had to weigh like 600 pounds. Yeah. Him and Gillis are carrying yeah. this yeah. thing up the stairs, yeah. three flights of stairs. Oof. There was a big session. He never mentioned to me what it was, but it was apparently a big session down in his place. That It wasn't his session. The guy came in and brought the session in, but it was a label session. And apparently the guy who was the producer in charge of the thing was a little weird. And it got to Tim that he was, for some reason, terrified of Masons. You know, the oh, Masons, great. right, people. So Tim made it his point from that point on to... Thoroughly convinced this guy that he was a mason, a high priest. Yeah, sure, that sounds right. <laughs> right? Yeah, including like you know wearing a ring and setting masonic shrines everywhere the guy would turn, and the guy left and took the record with him. <laughs> oh my god! Tim lost money on it. Yeah, but he's he like, it's so, so worth it. Yeah, just it was worth so worth this guy because yeah. this guy yeah, he was like, I who cares? Yeah. We'll just you know, I just enjoyed three days of absolutely terrifying. Some this of that, guy. Yeah. that stuff didn't go away. That was stuff that we did. You know, <clears throat> it was just things that we did. And that, that, those were the fun parts of it because yeah. you couldn't just work all the time. There had to be some, no. and that's what you miss. Coming circling back around to that's what you miss with this whole. Record home. Do it yourself thing. Yeah. You don't get any of that. There's now, no stories to tell. No, I record it, home. I, so I, should, I record well, home. Well, you have a studio. 
though. studio and I record. I worked in real studios. There's I have a, a studio in my house, but still. I, and I'm not telling people they shouldn't do it, but there is an experience, and it's also a thing working with people. Right. You know, it makes a it just yeah. makes a difference. And I want to make it sound like a commercial, but it does. It, it really does. It make really a does. Absolutely, you know? yeah. Working with people, good or bad, you know. If you have a, sometimes you, you, I mean, most of the people I worked, I would do multiple albums with. But there were people that we just, it just didn't. Yeah. No matter how hard you tried, it just didn't work. And, yeah. I mean, I, I literally could consider uh, Big Blue North a uh, a home recording studio because I could literally fall asleep anywhere. In there. <laughs> well, I have. Like, yeah. I mean, literally, like you just sit in a chair and just, yeah, I'm good. You know, spend the night. I mean, I'm fine it's, with that. It's good to have a place that's com- <laughs> it's good to have a place that's comfortable yeah. and not too sterile. You know. Yeah. Or, or the working conditions are well. Like, the inspiration's got to be there too. I mean, like I, you know, what my inspiration was when I was sixteen, going into your place was uh, I was expecting walking into a studio at sixteen and seeing real to real tapes going and like like all this stuff happening. And it was right around the time you switched over to digital. Adat and you switched. Well, I over still to had the twenty four, but we were recording you did, but A-Dat. we were recording Adat, and all of a sudden you just see Bob just like popping a tape in mm-hmm. and like you know, okay, here we go. And I was like, I was mesmerized by this whole thing. I was like, oh my god, what is going on? I mean, you got to. I figure it was 90, uh, 97. Yeah. You know, it was 97. So, I mean, we never see anything like that. Well, going you know to go I mean? in places, you know, you ha- as a, you have to remember that it's a magical thing. It was yeah. it was, it was was magical going into Ock Rock when yeah. you were a musician. You sure. went in and you were like, oh, I'm going to the studio. You see the, you you see the, ki- the, the Kiss pinball machines at the know, pool table. You just, You're like, fuck yeah. The smell of it. You knew you were there to <laughs> well, do that. Place definitely had a smell. Oh, it a did. Good yeah, smell, yeah no, great. yeah, it smelled just, great. It smelled like cinch. I still a... use it to this day. I, I was it. so excited. I walked into a store and I seen it. I was with my wife and I seen it on the <laughs> shelf. And I go, Dawn, you're not going to believe this. And I pulled it down and showed it to you. She goes, What? I said, Don't you remember? I used to use cinch in the studio all the time. I'm buying two I'm buying all of them. <laughs> I got it upstairs at my place. Still sure, sure. But, you know, seriously, you're still using it in your studio. Yeah, why not? That stuff matters. And Tim was very big on these. Like, you know, you got to remember that these people aren't here yeah. like you are yeah. and, and they're going to remember this possibly the rest of their lives and they will absolutely i mean like know. like big blue for me was uh was the live room it's still to this day the live room is is inspiring to me for some reason like i you know walking into your place it was it was your control room for me and like well we walk, worked in the control room we worked a lot. we worked a lot in the control room so for me uh at your place is the live room for yeah. me that that's that's some place that i could literally sit indian style in there and write i mean what a lot songs, of people don't you know? realize is that there was pre-production. Like, when I worked yeah, with yeah. Jeff's band, I went out and did pre-production at his yep. parents' house. Yeah, went to rehearsals. I remember mm-hmm. sitting behind the drummer, because he was the he was a fantastic drummer, yeah. but he was a very anal guy. <laughs> sure. And and, and not, take, not saying anything bad about him, because I really like Rob. He's fantastic. Yeah. I can't believe he doesn't play anymore, but as much as he did, or at all. At all. Because yeah. he was a freaking fantastic drummer, yeah. but he was very particular about the way his <laughs> drum sounded. So I said, well, Rob, move the kid up like two feet. I'll sit behind you, and I could hear exactly what you're playing. Yeah. We were able to achieve it, but right. we actually, I actually went, we did pre-production. It's the whole. This doesn't happen. Yeah. That yeah. doesn't happen. Then you know. No, you I still do I do that with all the artists I work, but I do it at my. I'll have them come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, and uh, you do the session like that. Work with them through the songs, but mm-hmm. that's another aspect of it that you don't get when you're doing right. stuff on your own. You don't Absolutely. have a guy saying, "Hey, yeah. you know, let, you know." And then that, I enjoy that. It cuts the time. Well, I really should. do. I, I enjoy it. It's an ego well, thing. I did it with you, you, I, I, people have to be uh, open to the idea that. We were lucky. We were lucky you know, with what you and I did. Somebody's there to help yeah. you, that you may be too close to it, and you yeah. should, you know, it's okay to allow somebody else. Sure. And, you know, editors work with, with writers, and you know what I mean? Yeah. People, it's okay to have, a, especially a, someone who's a third objective point of view. Yeah. To just, t- it's, it, you know, you got to trust them. Like sure. you said, doesn't always, it's not always no. the right relationship. You can't just have anybody. But when it's right. Yeah. Right. 
It's you know very what, difficult to beat that. You think any of these that. people take down a record now and look at it and see there's like 12 people producing it? Uh, right, right. I don't even and, know. Yeah, 10 oh, people. No more liner notes. No. But, but there are. There's usually on tracks. Yeah. Now there's 10 producers yeah. on oh, yeah. the track. You just you know wiki what I mean? it. Yeah, 15 just writers. One guy did the little hook. Right, yeah. Right, I right. mean, you know, come on. You know, yeah. I mean, that, Well, now they got to cover their asses because they're worried about getting sued and shit. You know what I mean? Well, it's just that music is assembled like an air conditioner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like on an assembly line. It's an assembly line. Playing. They might record half the song at your place. And then record the other half at his place, and then master it at this place, and mix well, it at this place. Well, that's not such a big deal because that kind of always used to happen. But I mean, I'm saying but, I have a song. No, you know what I mean. Like, well, it's, even it's, that you know, might have happened. But it's the it idea right. that you just now you don't even have a linear. We're not attached to it. Yeah, right. it's, it's it, there's right. there's there's no. I can't imagine recording a record though like that. You know what I mean? Like, I well, just, I, I don't know. You know, sometimes touring bands would have no choice. You know, sure. I mean, if you're in you LA, no you do a little bit here, you do a little in New York, you do a little there. Well, think about it. Led Zeppelin II was was never recorded in one studio. It was recorded all when they were on the road. Right. When they were on the road, he would just walk into a place. And right. He wouldn't even announce. He'd just walk in and go, "Do you have studio time?" And he would walk in and right. he'd maybe have cut that day a whole lot of love in a studio that wow. they weren't even expecting him. Wow. They would Crazy. cut that track. But this is at a time when when the studios he was walking in sure. were all ready to go. Ready, ready to go. go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You weren't walking into sure. Joe Blotz's basement. No. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no. I just, I have to say also. Um, I mean, that's I, why I, I think, I, I don't want to interrupt, but sure. the, I, think, I think everybody should watch that Beatles Oh, the Beatles. Oh, that was incredible. Because you get a, just a, an idea of how things were done. And everybody, about the every, Disney yeah, plus, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. everybody needs to apologize to Yoko Ono. That's all I got to say because you know everybody for years thought the Yoko broke the Beatles up. Paul says it yeah. in in Get Back in that documentary. Yeah. Everybody it should wasn't be, her. Everybody should also be thanking Glenn Johns. Yeah, oh, for exactly. sure, for sure. For kicking Magic oh, Alex. How, how <laughs> Magic freaking, Alex? Wait, that thing was completely. How freaking cool was it in that documentary though? You're sitting there. They, they just kind of like pan the pan the camera over, and there's Alan Parsons just sitting there just like chilling, right? Just with, with the tape going well, like this. I'm like, like what the hell, everybody, man? Everybody starts somewhere. He was just yeah. an assistant. It yeah. starts somewhere. And that's the sad part, I think, if I'm going to be an old guy right now, um, a little about it all. Just because you're great doesn't mean you're old, okay? Knock it off. It's just that, you know, (laughs) the reason that these records 50, 69 years later still sound good and we still talk about them, some of the reason is because there was no weak link in the chain. And what I mean is it's hard to fuck up, uh, let's, you know, if you're making Who's Next... It's hard to fuck that up when you've got Townsend writing the songs, you've got Ann Whistle, Daltrey, and Moon with Townsend playing in, I don't know where they made that record, let's say the Olympic or Trident or whatever it was. So amazing place with Glyn Johns at the helm. Yeah. Hard to make a shitty record at that point. Yeah. Right. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, because everybody's just a, a hitter. Yeah. Everybody's a hitter. I don't know if if you watch that show. I don't know if it went over people's heads, but they couldn't even get an eight track machine in there. No, they couldn't. EMI right. wouldn't even give it to right. them. No. Right. They're the biggest band in the world at that <laughs> yeah. point. We they can't. Well, we can't loan you an eight track. George, yeah. George, you got to bring yeah, yours. George, you yeah. got to bring, bring yours from yours. your house. Exactly. Or was it they that they didn't? Carol, have they one. wouldn't give it to them. Did they, they not give have one? No, they so they, they just they just wouldn't give it. They you could do it all on a four track. Well, that's why they that's why they started building the studio in the basement. Yeah, but that well, uh, magic, eventually yeah. magic Alex was. Uh, let's not even go different. there. That was a whole. But my point yeah. is this: is that you know, and that that's what I always say to artists. You know, you can do it all on your own, but in fifty years, are we going to be listening to this? Is it going right. to have the same impact? Right. Are we really going to feel that? And I think a lot of that has to do with just that whole communal aspect of playing your strengths. Get the producer in who's good at what you know. Let's take building a house. Right. The plumber, 
should probably not be wiring up the electrical. <laughs> right. And the roofer probably sure, shouldn't sure. be doing the masonry. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, 100%. And then circling this back all around the Gillis, these are all things that he would want people to, if he was in this discussion, understand, us, yeah. he would be even more over the top with, well, you know, you should really be working in a studio and having somebody produce your records. Right, I mean, absolutely. Right. This is, that's the point. The point that's I, what I, started, I was going for, too. With, the with, point yeah. I started it for is I want people to know that he, he really exhausted himself to, sure make, to make art, what he was considering his, he you know, his he art. Cared. He exhausted yeah. himself to do that. And, you know, it's a, it's, uh, a thankless lot of time thankless because you know when people listen to records especially now like you said you don't even see who did produced it or engineered it's not even there right yeah. well music the, doesn't even when it goes well the band takes the credit exactly when it goes shitty it's your fault the, yeah, exactly. the producer. Well, that's how it is live too you know if, yeah. if the band sounds good it's the band but if it doesn't sound good it's the sound, sound man fault. right exactly. but, yeah author. Right. uh yeah i just i i have to say this though um uh, I when even before Gillis passed away, I used to I used to troll the the uh, the old hardcore message boards because a lot of the hardcore genre is still as underground as it was you know mm-hmm. back oh, yeah. then, and uh, um, I think that all of us here will be happy to see that that uh, all those I mean the, that that genre of music right now is reeling yes like severely I, because they consider him the godfather of their genre they well, call him the godfather of hardcore i mean like that's punk rock insane you engineer know what I mean? doing punk rock yeah. hardcore records you know he yeah. was he was one of them and, and like to see what they, to see what some of these guys and and some of these artists and musicians have written about him is just it's yep. it would make you guys happy growing up with oh, him I, to I understand know. and I know. I know you guys know that but but to look at that i mean if if you know to to be able to celebrate a life like that, you he know what I mean. He touched so many people. On, incredibly. On all I mean, over I was with him for three weeks, man. Three weeks, and and I I didn't talk the whole day after when I found out he passed away. I didn't, I didn't speak. I didn't speak a word. I didn't speak a freaking word. I was devastated. Three weeks. That's all I knew the guy. Like as far as in person, yeah. you know what I mean. I mean, I spoke with him. We spoke that. Well, you the know, good thing is he's like forth, like but. Justin said. There's a legacy that will endure. Um, yeah, you know that's people, for sure. You know those records will live on, and he you know that's the something he would be. You know, I, like I said, I felt something for those couple of days, and then I, I messaged Jeff, and I says, I don't feel it anymore. I think he's gone, and he's at peace. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, you know, it, it took a couple of days for him to get where he needed to go, and yeah. I felt like that was just my feeling. I don't know. Sure. I'm not God or anything. Well, I think but you're I, right on that. It was just my feeling that it took, you know, everybody had a, we had to mourn for a couple of days, yeah. and he left his mark where he needed to leave it. And, you know, I, it's it's easy to say and I know because I've had other friends pass away that I was really close to. It's easy to say that you'll think and remember, you know, that, uh, you know, all the stuff that happened every day, but you don't. You know, time marches on and things get forgotten. But when you have a legacy of all stuff that you yeah. recorded and your name's on it, yeah. and people remind you, remind me, somebody someplace in the world might talk about you just, just them that one day. And then someplace else, somebody will talk about you. So you endure in that that way it's like That's, leaving 700 kids behind right yeah right? You, right. yeah 700 kids that had 10 kids for of their sure. own for sure you know so that that whole thing multiplies yes. you know and well, i mean and, i mean how blessed are you that you were one of his last pupils in a sense you know what i mean oh i yeah, mean seriously I mean, I mean like like if you think about it i mean this guy this man taught so many people i you know, i, I so probably many people. undeservedly had uh a closer relationship with him than most people got to have. And he never, I guarantee he never thought in a million years he'd have a relationship with a 50-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, honest to God. I mean, I'm like, sure he never thought that he was going to be 
you know, talking about, you know, being in it. You, know, you being talking, a, younger than him. Talking, no, no, saying, no, you know, Justin, he, he liked when kids were younger. He sure. liked doing that. I'm sure, but, but I'm that saying, like, like, to have, but but to, as a teacher aspect, but but to have, like, like you know, I'm sure that he looked at you, you know, as, as like a son as well. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, it turned I, out, it started as a sort of, you know, mentoring, like, you got to learn this and beatings will continue. Sure, sure. But uh, then it grew into... Well, sure, you earned his respect. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. That's, that's right. definitely what it, you know, it came down our, in our day. Well, we, there was there was that thing though. I mean, like it, it's it's like that family member that that you uh, that you have. Okay, so so you have you have your family members that you fear, your family members you can walk all over, and then there's family members that you don't want to disappoint. Okay, because you respect them so much, and I think that that was Tim. Like you weren't afraid Absolutely. of him. Absolutely, you weren't afraid of him. I mean, he was—he wasn't going to turn around and punch you in the face, especially now nowadays. You know, he wouldn't. Well, you have, know, but, a perfect example but, you know, is, is when we said, "Well, didn't Carl have a nickname?" Well, Carl never had a nickname because he was—he knew he was. No, he was ultimately respected. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. Sure. Gillis had so much respect right. for Carl and his abilities right. that there was no nickname. It was always, "Well, good Heinz will be down." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was, and that was, uh-huh. but that's you know? the thing. With, and then when I finally got to know Carl, and it took quite a long time because you see Carl's very quiet. But when I finally got to know him, he was funny and great guy. Yeah. But well, we, we were shut up the whole time, so that's why. Well, Carl, Carl, you guys <laughs> let him talk though. I mean, come on, let's right. stick up for the man over there. Oh, see, Carl's the quietest guy you ever met. He, when he says stuff, though, it matters. But he's Carl's oh, a sure. quiet guy. But we uh, always had ultimate respect. Before I even knew him, he, well, this yeah. Goodhines guy's coming down and playing. It was never, you know, so I would never even thought, well, I might make up some kind of funny nickname yeah. for him because, you know, I, no, I would, that was off limits. Yeah. You know, that's that basically was, why. Well, I still get, I still get three, two or three people a week. But we now. have a nickname. Yeah. We, me and Carl, we have, we call each other Furt. It's just a joke. <laughs> we, if we talk on the, that's all it is. Hey, Furt, how you doing? Everything's Furt, 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 and that's yeah. that's a funny story in all to itself, and that involves Gillis. That Ferdinand. story. Ferdinand. There was a guy who played. His name was Ferdinand Lewandrowski. Of course, it was. And he was from up the Big Apple. And he Dear had a, a lot of gear. These people actually existed around here. Yes. Oh, yeah. And somehow, right. did you guys <laughs> blow it away? You, how did you guys get playing with this guy? Because he, he was nowhere on the same level. On Westmoreland, and he had some new fog machine that was heat activated. So yeah, yeah, that's stuff right. In. And it would, you know, it looked like a fogger too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The more, like, uh, the more one. And it sit there, and after like you know forty minutes, oh, we got fog now. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, every time uh, we started, we moved stuff around. Eventually, we were calling each other for. Yeah. And eventually, be Furt, he'd be like, "Yes." Him, <laughs> yes. Ferdinand would always go, "Yeah." He was a really strange yes. man. Yes. <laughs> so that was just a joke that we had through. Yeah, he'd show up to five guys calling each other Furt, and he'd Furt. be like, "Yeah, yeah." So that that <laughs> la- and that was yeah. that was million years ago, and it's still yeah. we still call each other. Sure. Me and Carl call each other Furt. My son th- thought his name was Furt. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just got just a yeah. nickname that we no, you know. Bork. But, Bork. Bork, yeah, because he says Carl looks like the Swedish chef. Oh, you've heard of him. Oh, bird, 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 bird. And then he, he, he ramped it up by bringing him a Swedish chef shirt, my son's shirt. Sure. So, you know, it, it is what it is. But this is another Gillis. Gillis was right there when this all happened, yeah. Ferdinand Lewandrowski. And we knew him. Me and Gillis knew him because he used to shop at Big Apple. That's how we knew him, and Gillis worked sure. at Big Apple. Mm-hmm. So I got Michelini in, and then me and Michelini got Gillis in the Big Apple. So there was a one time you could walk in there and catch – 
Gillis in the drum department, Michelini in the keyboard department, me in the guitar department, and Mark at the counter. Yeah. And that was a devastating crew. Oh, I couldn't imagine. Oh, my God, the stuff that went on during that is even a whole other thing. That... We'll have to get you back for those oh, stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing before we do get out of here, there's been a bunch of people that have been chiming in throughout this whole conversation. And thank you so much. If you're watching on Facebook, please click the share button. If you're watching on YouTube, smash that like button. Uh, let's get. To, I'm going to get through a couple of them. And, and you better hurry up because I know you got to pee. I, yeah, <laughs> you can see it on my face. I can't. Yeah, you absolutely. You know me already. Huh? I've just been doing this for two years together. Now you know me. Uh, Bill Scranton saying great stuff, guys. Oh, geez. That's oh, a I whole, love Bill. We recorded the first Luftwaffe stuff with Bill Scranton, and he was freaking. There was a little part that had a German spoken thing in there, mm-hmm. and we made him do it, and he did it incredible. <laughs> oh God, well. I can't imagine. He was my first. He was my first mentor, Bill Scranton. If I didn't, if really? I never met Bill Scranton, I would never be where I am right wow. now. Well, he's saying Tim made a great impact on everybody he met, and these are all great memories. So thank you, sure. thank you for chiming in. Uh, and Adam Mannion saying, "Love hearing these stories. Happy you guys are doing this. Rest in peace to Tim, uh, Kevin Hodgkins. Oh, Bundy. Uh, oh yeah, Bundy. Bundy. That's Bundy. He's saying Gil rescued you." And him in uh, Kinderhook. Oh, I don't want to give into that. It was a whole other thing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to come back and talk about that one. Oh, my God. Nick Vanderwood. Hi, Nick. Good to hear from you, man. He's got a new album out there, or a new single out there, produced by my man over here, Jeff Anderman, which he'll be in the studio in a couple, I think next week he's coming. Yay. But he's saying love seeing all you guys together. And it's been great to have all you guys in here today and, and talk about all these awesome stories. Uh, Jackie's checking in. Awesome tribute Jackie. to a larger-than-life guy. Great album out there. Bob, you did a great job with that. Thanks. She's also on the, the Sammys yeah. right now. She's on the um, – you could go and vote for People's Choice Awards. And yeah, they're playing her out that. in Syracuse, too. Dave Fresina's playing her a lot, oh, which beautiful. is great. Did we make it to round three? I, we find out tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. find out tomorrow. So I've been uh, – also vote for Showtime. Also vote for yeah. Disruption Network. We're on the same. I'm trying Ridley to Page, Under the Gun. There's a ton of bands There's on there. So There's many. so many great I'm bands. Trying, we're going for the repeat, though. Yeah, bro. yeah, we're we got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Patricia, how you doing, Patricia? She's saying Big Blue North is instantly as warm atmosphere that gives off a vibe needed to cultivate the creative urge to fruition. That's Very exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Yes, uh, everybody's For sure, a lot though. of good stuff. And then Russell <laughs> Bell is saying so many great stories. Wish I was around when he was around. Thank you, guys. I'm Thank doing you a so much. with Russ right now. Are you? Yeah. That's wonderful. Cool. Also, Bob, do you got anything you want to promote before we bounce? No, I'm, I'm in the middle of a few records. I got this guy, Rick Reichert. I'm doing a record for it. It's absolutely great. Russ, I'm finishing mixing his record. You know who I'm, I just got done doing was because you had Alberico had passed last week. I just remastered the sale record. It sounds fantastic. Oh, no wow, shit. Really? Yeah, oh, and, wow. and there, a lot of people don't know this, but there were five songs that were left off that I have. I can't wait to That are going to come out. And then there's five live original songs. So there's going to be a separate companion record that has 10 songs on it. And I've been working with awesome. Mel, Mike Delagala from L.A. and Pat Petrello will be back in the studio Thursday to get that. That, wow. that thing kind of wrapped up. And then I'm also doing a record with, um, mixing a record for Stick Slabicki, who was in Sky Church with Paul Angerosa. And Angerosa's tracks have been coming in from Florida. Ooh. So I'm getting this thing together. It sounds really good. So it's like the uh, Sky Church reunion, but the frogs kind of thing. And Paul sounds freaking excellent. So yeah, there's a, I got animal. a bunch of, I'm busy. I'm, I, I can't believe how busy I am. That's I'm still great. teaching. If anybody needs lessons, you know, you can get a hold of me. I really enjoy doing that too. But the studio is yeah, extremely busy. Good. Awesome. Extremely. Jeff, what about you? You want to promote anything you got going on at Big Blue? I, you know, uh, no. I just, <laughs> just I get, seek them out, please, everybody. Get, just seek them out. I, I got to get through Friday, which is the funeral, and then yeah. uh, I can 
think about life again. I, you know, yeah, sure, we're doing records. Please visit us. If, yeah, it'd be great. We'd Where do they to... find you online? Oh, Facebook is easiest to message us. Big Blue Big North. North. It's not that hard. Yeah. Piece of cake. Yes. You know, I got stuff going on. Sure. I'm doing Nick's thing. I'm doing uh, Jerry D's doing something. We're doing a big thing for the YMCA where Liberty DeVito came in and played drums and... Uh, T Club's coming back, right? T Club from yep. Jersey. They'll They're become that was Tim's yep. band. That was sure. Tim's band that I took over when he retired. Uh, took great over, great band, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Great past, records past you guys have done. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, yeah, there's lots. Of it's stuff good to tell to people do. what you're doing. We, we want people to know in Utica that we're busy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I For mean, sure. definitely. There's things. No, no Gillis question. would be waving his finger. I know. He, wants you to he was yeah. Yeah, I promote. Know. Promote. He was like, "You are the worst salesman on the fucking planet." That's what he'd say. We got to get you a little bit. We got to PT Barnum you I up. I know. A bit. I know. Once I'm in the session, I'm I mean, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. ready to go. I, mean, I can attest to that. If we want to talk about Big Blue North, we just got to get his wife to come on the show. Exactly. Yeah. We're good to go. Just leave Jeez. him in the control room. All right. right. She's yeah. the brains and the. Beauty. We don't. We don't want Syracuse to say that they're always busy and we're not. Yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. Not that there's a competition thing. There was. Not at all, no. but we want people to know that we're still working. Yeah, we are. As Tim would say, it's not full of hell people here. No, we're making it <laughs> right. You know, you got the two guys right in this room. We could do some damage. Yeah, oh, for absolutely. sure. You know, we, I, we've made it, you know, tons, so many records that can't even. And I've, you know, I've got a couple of Sammys, and we compete with them easily. Yeah, yeah. We're ready to go, but I mean, we we want people to know we're working. We're yeah. busy, and even though the COVID thing's going on, and everything we're still busy. People want to make music. You know? Absolutely. On every level, there's different levels to it. I got the Harlem. Boys Choir coming in this weekend. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Oh. About that. How do you forget about that? I know. I'm just sorry. <laughs> do you just... know? See, um, do you know Vinny Katroop? Yes, the barber. He's coming in to cut a track next week. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good. No, too, no, no. The Harlem he, Boys Choir. He's a country yeah. singer. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, when? Uh, Saturday. He did. Oh my he did, God. Uh, yep. Frog Fest last year. Okay. Yeah, he's good. Wow, very he's really cool. good. So people are working. People want to work it's and make music. We want that. As Patty's saying right now, Utica is the rock of Central New York, and it, it always oh, it really is. It is. It's definitely yeah. hard. Yeah, it's unfortunate that we get this sort of redheaded stepchild rap. Yeah. In the region, you we know. We kind of do. Sure, we do. Yeah, we do. We do. We can say it. I yeah. think, and I don't know why. I think it's bullshit. But I'm fine with that. Nothing against, like Bob said, I'm not throwing stones at anybody, no. but, you know, sometimes it's like, you know. Well, we're looked at as a minor league we are, Syracuse. Yeah, I we mean, are. That's what we you know, are. I mean, let's not, be real, you, you know. know. Well, I had to Tim make... Gillis didn't come from Syracuse. Sorry. No. no. <laughs> I mean, we. I had to make, I don't know how many records before Syracuse acknowledged my existence, and back then I was making sure. all, all oh, those yeah. bands from Syracuse yeah. were making them with me. Yeah, yeah right. But, and no slight on Syracuse whatsoever, because they've really done, I mean, it's great. And they got some great, they got some great scene. And Absolutely. And all the players out there, we love all those guys. Macri and all those all my guys, peoples, all good people out yep. there, but we, you know, we just want people to know that we are still working here. Everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, me and Jeff are the only places that are re- we're working. Yeah. We're working. Yeah. Excellent point, Justin. What do you What are you playing this week? And um, well, first things there? first, I just want to let everybody know that Carl, this is the Carl Goodheins that's, that's in Showtime. Yeah. I just want because I got like three people a week. They're like, so can I so wait. Is, is he? He's the stand-in until you get a keyboard player for good. Right? No, no, he's our keyboard <laughs> player. Now, 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 wait a minute. I get like he three got roped people. into that gig. Huh, Carl? I'm not even. Yeah, I mean, he was he was perfectly content with classified. I mean, he was just there and then classified, and he was like, now what am I going to do? And I'm like, I guess I'll go slum it with Showtime. Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, gotta I mean, get, I mean, but you got to get some. Somebody who's good enough is what I'm saying. I had, re- <laughs> I had retired. Yeah. I had. Yeah. Don't forget, though, he was in the Elvis band for in between that with me. Yeah. Keyboards in the house. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they were going every day, and I got down to almost nothing. And these guys called, and it was like I stepped on a brake with both feet. <laughs> because <laughs> I almost didn't have anything left to go play with. Yeah, that's true. 
Uh, the, uh, but I'll tell you, there's at least three, four people a week that'll either call me or, or come up to me like at a gig that I'm playing by myself and go, so uh, Carl, Carl Goodines, like like the Carl Goodines, well, like of, we the even, Carl, like the Carl Goodines, like 805. Yeah, well that's it. We that didn't even, Carl Goodines. Yes, we didn't even we didn't even mention that Carl was in 805. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it, small small band. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, which by the way, uh, two of the members of 805 were back together chatting again uh, this past weekend at the gig. Uh, Cremo and him were backstage. Cremo. Matter of fact. Cremo was late getting on stage for the gig at the casino because Carl and him were chatting back. I got a lot of Cremo stories. For oh yeah, hear those. Yes. we got to come back. But we're playing. It. We're playing Friday at uh, Lucan's full band. Full band. Yeah. Oh great. Awesome. Hope to see you there, Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, not after the. I lost all my money at the Vernon Downs show. Ah. Uh, <laughs> well, know. hey, I listen. I just watched you just smiling away, just going. Yeah. There goes another twenty, and another twenty, and another. 20. Stay out of the Racino. But we we, exactly. we had fun. Lucas doesn't have any machines, though. Z. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I call yet. I call those places the casino. Because when you go, you drop a seat. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dropped a couple of those that night. That's for sure. Carl, you have anything you want to promote? Uh, I'm probably gonna have. Uh... <laughs> Polygamy. <laughs> well, we're gonna have chicken and brown rice tonight. <laughs> what time? Come on. It's great. Pretty soon, because I've got rehearsal in an hour and a half. I know. We both do. Yeah. There you go. No. Yeah. Well, we don't. No. Seven. You got to be there. Seven. Yeah. And he's got a little drive. Well, you got to load in at seven because we're starting rehearsal at seven thirty. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks yeah. for doing this, Steve. No, thank you guys for doing this. I think it was great. You got to bring everything? The stories were great. We didn't even really scratch the surface. No. Yeah, right. We didn't scratch the surface. So maybe if we do this again them, sometime. Yeah, Gil would be, he'd be happy. Yet. He'd be happy the way he was represented. So we're both working on it. I hope so. I, hope so. No, I, I think in some ways he'd be a little bit like, all right, you know. But fuck that. He's... He is one of the few people... We could have ramped him up. Yeah. He's one of the few people, really and sincerely... There will never be another one of him. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. No. And that was definitely that definitely came across today yeah. on this podcast. By the way, so. this is the longest local music Monday in history. I know, we're at two hours. Wow. Yeah. Thanks. Crazy. Are you gonna get in trouble? No, God, oh, all right. no, no. <laughs> Thank you to United Auto Sales, EJA Moving Services, Joey's at 307, Billy the Liquor Guy, Utica Coffee, Saranac Brewery, Dave Longaretta, and, of course, Ballsy. Ballwash.com. Use promo code members only and get a 15% discount. Get some hygiene for your groin area, gentlemen. I think we all know. Been there, done that. I highly recommend it. You guys all have yourself a good day. We'll see you later. Take care. Looking to sell your vehicle? Contact the United Auto Wholesale Team. We'll buy it. Old or new, car, truck, SUV, van, call to set up an appointment. Then stop in, make the sale, and get instant payment. Sell your vehicle to United Auto's wholesale team. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to contribute and help with the cost of producing this podcast, you can hit our virtual tip jar on Venmo at XYTODA. Please subscribe on all our podcast platforms. Follow, like, and subscribe all things Disruption Network on social media. And visit our website, disruptionnetwork.net.